still remembers Pampiro Furpo? Who booked the screw job in Montreal? Who has a good friend named Weasel Dooley? Everyone knows it's corny. Who managed Bobby Eaton and Condry? Who managed Stan Lane and Dr. Tom? Who's sick and tired of Kenny Olivier? Everyone knows it's corny. Who took a shoot, fought off of the scaffolding? Who bled a gusher in a white suit? Who said Ronnie Garvin went up like the challenger? Everyone knows it's corny. It's Jim Cornette's drive through He'll answer questions from you And he won the pony too Thank you, fuck you, bye 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 Hello again, friends! And you are our friends! And welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive Through right here on another fall day here in the year of 2022. I am your host, the great Brian Last. We have questions. A few reviews, who knows what else, with this man, the star of the drive-thru, the most controversial man in professional wrestling, Mr. Jim Cornette. Who am I now, Dick Murdoch? That's the way you give it to me? Is that the way you, you know give what it to Murdoch, Murdoch used to say every time he was in a tag team match? He'd tell his partner, you just, you start, and when you fuck it up bad enough, tag me in, I'll straighten it out. That's what just happened. You started... You fucked it up bad enough, and then you tagged me in. But there were some nights where Murdoch fucked it up worse, just decided, hey, fuck it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Dickie would just, yeah, you know, why am I here? What the fuck? We're in Saginaw, Michigan. <laughs> anyway, um, well, it's fucking cold, and I'm in a mood. Okay, you know what this means, don't you? Fall has fell. We're going to lose the leaves off the trees. I, I... I don't, fall is not my least favorite season because that's winter. But fall is the season that sets us up for winter. And that's pissing me off. We're going to lose the leaves. It's going to be dark later and dark earlier. It's going to be cold outside. It's going to be wet, the potential for snow. That's the worst time of the year. As everybody knows, my favorite season is spring. We get the leaves back, the birds are chirping. Everything turns green. The weather gets nice. There's procreation amongst the wildlife. The deer are gambling around the backyard, not gambling like they do at prize picks, but gambling as in They don't gamble at prize picks. They don't gamble at prize picks. I forgot. It's fantasy sports fun play. fantasy sports, but nevertheless, you see where I'm going with this. I like the spring. That's my favorite. And wintertime is my least favorite, and fall is my second least favorite because it's taken us to wintertime. And there's so many things left to do in the year. Can't I'm prohibited from working in the yard for three or four months out of the year because of this seasonal weather condition. And the point is, I woke up this morning, and I realized that I forgot to change the thermostats because it's, since it's been summer for the past six fucking months, it was up to 100 degrees. The air conditioning was still on all over the house. And I got up early as I do. And I said, fuck, it's cold. 
And uh, look, it was 62 degrees in the office and 65 degrees in, in the TV room, 65 degrees in the other end of the house. I had to go around turning heat on in various places. I'm not happy about that, but I because it's only September still. And I'll be goddamned if I'm going to use any appreciable amount of my propane in September. I'm too stingy for that. So I set the thermostats on 65 just to even everything out. And that way it won't get too cold. Nobody will go into, what is it, hypothermia. But I'm not happy, Brian, about this situation. It hap- It seems like this happens every year about the same time. Just about. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I'll tell you, what's the matter with you? Just your son of a bitch. You've never son of a bitch. spelled it out so much like that. Um, I've, got, I've got a couple of uh, communications. Um, hold on here. Well, actually, one communication here. I'm sorry. From uh, Tommy. And uh, Tommy is from Albany, New York. This is something we were talking about a week or two ago on the program when they were in Albany for AEW and everybody had their hometown homecoming or whatever. Marina Schaefer was one of them. Shafir. Whatever. And Tommy says, Dear Jim and Brian, Tommy here from Albany, New York. I just want to say as a lifetime resident of Albany, New York, we sincerely, positively don't know who Marina Schaefer is. <laughs> Love both shows. Gets me through my days working for the United States Postal Service. And again, thank you for your business. Well, thank you for your support there, Tommy. So, and as a matter of fact, uh, go ahead. What were you going to say? So what she was saying to the audience, you know me. Not only did they not know her, they felt compelled to write in and say, I do not know this woman. Yes. Yeah, no, many people denied this. I have no knowledge of this. I have no recollection of her coming from my town, living here. Don't blame us. But thank you, Tommy, also for being a dedicated postal carrier, because the postal carriers in the United States, actually all around the world, are fixing to get a lot busier because the first shipment of the brand new action figures uh, from Figures Toy Company and JimCornette.com are going out this week. We've already got the first 150 figures boxed up, signed, ready to go, and they're going to be handed off to the Feather Bottoms before the people even hear this on the air. And uh, that will continue to happen over the next probably six weeks or so. So please be patient, folks. But the first 150, and we're doing. Everybody that ordered on September 17th, the Saturday, when everything first went on sale, we're doing those first with the Feather Bottoms sorting system. So everybody that ordered the first day gets priority, and that was about 750 different people. So they're going to be getting priority for the next probably three weeks or so until we can get all that out. And one of the uh, one of the the customers that's being serviced this week by the Feather Bottoms may be getting an extra special gift. We're not sure who. We're not even sure it's going to happen at all. But Harley, while I had all the figures in, in the open boxes that had been signed and put in the open boxes out in the TV room floor, Harley was playing with uh, chewing on one of her kebab treats. She gets the, We get her these shish kebab-looking things. It has the little treat on a stick, right? Three of them. So it looks like a shish kebab. And she likes to chew the the treats off and then play with the stick. 
Well, she was grabbing the stick by the end and flinging it up in the air and then running and romping to get it. And then I heard something and turned around. I couldn't find her stick. And I'm wondering if the stick ended up in one of the boxes. So if one of you find customers at jimcornette.com, if one of you gets not only your brand new action figure, but also a partially chewed kebab treat, you don't have to pay any extra for it. And you don't have to send it back. It's yours to keep. It's a genuine Harley Quinn kebab stick. I don't think you're looking at this the right way. It's a hazard to the public health. You should do a recall. You should do a recall until you can find where this stick is. I think you should shut your mouth before I show you where that stick's going to be if you don't fucking... Oh, you found it. Mind your bees way. Yeah, you'll be. You'll know exactly where it is. Every time you bend ah. over or sit down, you'll you'll know exactly ah. where that stick is if you don't keep your fucking yap shut. Sounds like my figure will be arriving early. Yeah, but anyway, and, and yours are going out in the mail too, I'll have you know. Oh, thank you. Um, thank you very but much. But anyway. Is there a so, stick in it? There, there may be something else in it again. We'll talk about that in a second. I've got a plastic bag here ready for you. <laughs> but if anybody does, and by the way, and shit, where are the new numbers? Um, God damn it. Okay, as we did a show a couple of days ago, we had less than half of the Santa Cornies left, and I think a little under 400 of the raw variants. That has continued to mount up. So assume that if you want to get a raw variant, in the next couple of weeks, I would say at, at minimum, you need to make that move, uh, maybe quicker. Uh, Santa Corny might be here for Halloween, but we're not sure. So once again, jimcornett.com and no waiting on the t-shirts, the behind the curtains, autograph pictures and everything with the feather bottoms in charge of this thing. They just stick shit in front of me. I sign it willy nilly and out it goes. So if you don't want to get caught up in the action figure mess and you just want to t-shirt they'll get it to you in a, in a week or two uh jimcornette.com did we mention that and and again you don't have to pay if you get harley's stick and uh can i plug my show coming up here even though this is your show brian can i plug my show the experience that we're going to do this weekend sure because we've got uh evan husney and jason eisner from the the guys behind dark side of the ring who are now behind these are these guys are behind everything if you ever want to get the bottom of anything these two guys are behind it all maybe they have your stick uh they might yeah they might get the the short end of the stick but um anyway they're also behind tales from the territories the brand new tv show that is going to be debuting and premiering tuesday october 4th on vice tv at 10 o'clock eastern time uh, wherever you find Vice TV on your local cable or satellite or whatever the case. Um, and it's going to be um, really a roundtable discussion with a variety of people who worked in the particular territory that is being discussed. And they're doing episodes on Memphis, uh, actually a separate episode, on, a special on Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler's match and program. The AWA, Stampede Wrestling, Florida, Mid-Atlantic slash Jim Crockett Promotions, Portland, Polynesian Pro Wrestling, World Class, and Mid-South. And uh, I have also shot some stuff. As I mentioned, I didn't do the... They shot the roundtables in Atlanta, Georgia, and apparently Los Angeles, California. 
neither of which are located in Jefferson County, Kentucky. So I was not a part of those, but I have shot some things for historical perspective. And I think more importantly to these, let's let somebody else besides me be on the air. Um, I've also given some uh, some vintage footage and photographs that I, as some of my pictures have already been on some of the the trailers that you've seen for the program. Anyway, so this weekend on The Experience, we're going to have Evan and Jason to talk about these programs, which debut Tuesday, October 4th on Vice TV at 10 o'clock Eastern. And I will hopefully in the next week or two have some news on another program on Vice, uh, in the Vice umbrella, that is going to feature me exclusively. And it'll be fun, and we'll talk about that later on. Um, and also, you sent me this clip, but so did everybody in the goddamn world. And I don't know whether I should be proud of this guy or sue him for gimmick infringement. The the newspaper article, wherever, it's somewhere in New York. You Was that in the New York Post? Was that the paper that first reported it? I sent it to you, I think, from the New York Post, and I read it there that morning. I said, oh, this is right down Jim's alley. <laughs> I gotta but send it, this it's, to him. it's been everywhere. Apparently, there's a guy, ladies and gentlemen, that has taken my my uh, advice that I gave here on on one of the last seasons of Dark Side of the Ring to heart. Hate is a hell of a motivator, and this guy is obvious. I think they gave his age. He's in his late sixties. I can't remember. Maybe seventy years old. But he was married to a woman like fifty years ago for a brief period of time, and now this woman's family has discovered that every morning before dawn even he shows up at the cemetery where she's been buried for the last five years and pisses on her grave and the only reason that they were able to find out about this they don't know how long it's been could have been since the day she died they don't know how long it's been going on but they found a plastic bag of feces it uh, on the grave and then they, they, at first they thought well well wait a minute some dog walker has left this or whatever and then they go back to it and they find another and i assume they're not going every day they love the old lady but they're not motivated enough to go every day you know at this point so so they come back and they find another bag of shit and they're like what's going on so they set up a camera and they determined that this ex-husband, and then finally on ca- they got it on camera, and the cops wouldn't do anything. I can't remember what the reason was they gave, so they actually staked it out in person and observed him. The guy comes, he drives up with his current wife in the car. Every morning between 6.14 and 6.18 a.m. Now, you've got to admire not only the dedication and the you know, just the, the the discipline it takes to do this, but also the punctuality. And he goes over, and they've got pictures, they had pictures of him pissing on this woman's grave. And apparently he's also been bringing the fecal matter as well in bags. And the guy, the, the woman's son was saying, I don't know whether it's a he's getting dog shit or he's shitting in the bag or whose shit it is, but it's shit. So now they gotta figure out how to. What to do about this? You know, they had that problem with Elvis. Not that problem, actually. But a similar problem in that people wanted to go to his grave and dig him up and shit. And now he's actually buried on Graceland under this 
giant concrete monument so nobody could actually dig him up without, I guess, heavy equipment, and that would be noticed in that neighborhood. But be, do you think they need to put this woman in a in Graceland? You said gimmick infringement. If this guy was married to this woman so long ago, and he waited for this, he may have had the idea first. I, you know, he probably did, didn't he? And again, you know, you'd think, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take a picture of me doing it. I'll put it on the wall. But no, he waited 50 years and then every morning. And to get up that early. And you know what? That's the morning piss, too. And as we all know, the morning piss is a little stinkier and just a little bit more unsavory than than any other piss of the day. And he's so casual about it. It's not like he's raising his hands in the air and screaming or anything. He just... I wake up, I put on my pants, I have some cereal, I go take my piss on my ex-wife's grave, and then I get in my truck and I drive to work. It's just very, he just does it. It's part of his morning. Have they stopped I wish, I wish Magic Spoon was a sponsor today. Why is that? <laughs> I'm just thinking a good breakfast and then a hearty piss <laughs> goes together, you know. I guess so, I guess so. It's normal morning. Anyway, so we thank everybody that sent that in. And I get, you know, now I got a tough act to follow. I don't know if I've got the, I'm up early in the morning usually now that I'm a senior citizen, but I don't know if I've got the dedication to leave the house and go somewhere every day, even for shit stain. What did she do to him? What did she do to him that caused him to say, I'm going to, I don't care how long I have to wait. One day I'm going to do it every day at the same time. Every single day. Well, and the article said he left her when she was pregnant with the, the her daughter. Oh. And and her he, her daughter ran into this guy one time, and he not only didn't want to talk to her, he said, I don't want to talk to you, and I hope your mother dies. Wow. So there, it, there was an impression made one way or the other. You don't know who to believe anymore about these things, but... But yeah, I got a heavy act to follow. But you know, there's some different kind of people out there. There on the news here in uh, in Louisville this past week, they've had a guy up for parole. 25 years ago, he was a high school student, and he brought a gun to school and shot a bunch of other high school students, killed about three of them. And because he was 14 years old or whatever, they couldn't either give him the death penalty or what or life without parole or whatever. So they gave him basically life, but you can have a chance at parole after 25 years. Well, thank you very kindly. So this guy's argument, but before the parole board, his, the best thing he could think of to explain to them why he should be allowed now after 25 years to be let loose from prison, unleashed on the public. Everything's fine. Now there'll be no issues, nothing more to see here. Guess what he said to him? He said, I still hear the voices in my head that told me to kill those people, but I've learned now that they're not real and I should just ignore them. Wow. And I'm thinking somebody on the parole board must have said, well, maybe in the future there's a possibility they might get more persuasive, so you need to stay where you're at. And and that's where he is. But... Tony Khan book that. Hey, I got to tell him this. You'll really get out. <laughs> Holy man. Did you ever watch when Charles Manson used to have parole hearings and they would air them? Oh, God, yes. And they were insane. They were just complete yes. insanity. 
And he didn't give a fuck. And he was he was going to blame the parole board and everybody. It's, this is your problem. You've all caused this. <laughs> you made me what I am. <laughs> me, me and and Sally May Glut or Sadie May Glutz. You made us what we are. Uh, and it didn't help his credibility any when he had the swastika in between his eyes, either carved into his forehead. I'm not sure you you want to trust a guy like that, you know. Bad career move, certainly. <laughs> Bad career. He never got a decent job after that, did he? The record sales never took off, no. No. Actually, from what I've seen of the goddamn recording artists these days, it might help their career at this point. If they looked like Charles Manson and had some fucking designs carved into their head. You know, oh, what is the one that's got all the designs carved in his face? What's his name? That weird <laughs> fuck that has tattoos all over his face. You're not you're not describing a unique I, person. I don't know I who you're talking say, about. I'm not narrowing it down. No. God damn, he's a white guy, singer, has white tattoos singer. all over his face, so he better be a fucking musician because he ain't never getting another fucking job. He fell off the stage and broke his ribs this past week, I saw on the internet. And it would be better if I could remember his name, but I can't. Do you think they should have crash pads at these shows? At the, well, it, the thing is, it was a it was an odd shaped stage. It was a there was a, a drop off there, and he's doing the thing where he sings and leans out over the edge to the crowd, and he turns around and just walks off the other edge, and boom, hits his fucking stomach on the edge of the stage, and goes down and sells and. But the interesting thing was he never stopped singing for about 15 seconds. They were playing they were playing his fucking track. And a lot of people say, oh, well, that's common in live concerts. The, the artist is singing over a track of himself singing. Yeah, Fozzie. Yeah, well, yeah, I was about it's to say. It's a little Fozzie it's, show. Yeah, it's common for <laughs> Millie Vanilli, but I wasn't aware that. But yeah, so he takes the bump. Boom, he's selling. He's holding his ribs. He's still singing until like 15 seconds later, the audio guy realizes maybe this isn't part of the fucking show and cuts the music. And then they all run over there to him. But, uh, anyway, I saw Robert Gibson did that one night in little rock, Arkansas. They come out to fucking places packed. They've got a spotlight just for the rock and roll express. They went all out and spent $75 on a spotlight operator. Van Halen's Jump comes on. That's what they were using at that point. It was the hottest song in America. And here comes the Rock and Roll Express, and the spotlight hits them. They're coming out on the stage. As soon as you can see Ricky and Robert, the place goes ballistic. We're standing in the ring. You can't even hear you know, yourself screaming at somebody because of the shrieks of the women. And it's a T-shaped stage. And they hit them with that spotlight. And they're blind. They can't see anything. So Ricky's in the middle. Ricky walks straight out the middle. Robert's on the other side. He walked right into the crook of the T, and he'd suddenly dropped out of sight, out of that spotlight. Whoosh. And I, we started breaking up, me and Bobby and Dennis, because we knew he had dropped to the floor. And then 15 seconds later, you see an arm come up over the edge of the bucket. Because <laughs> he had to climb back up on it to get past it to get back to... <laughs> Come off the front of it and get to the ring. There wasn't no way he could sneak around the side. Ah, anyway, 
It's always funny, right? When someone just walks off a stage. When somebody just walks into a hole, it's always funny. <laughs> Until you know how badly they're hurt, it's hysterical. No, it's still funny even then, as long as it's not you. I guess so. If it's you, then there's a fucking <laughs> issue. But <laughs> did you see fucking uh, goddamn Kelsey Grammer? Yes. Years yes. ago. I do remember that. Was he on a, at a telethon or some kind of charity fundraising thing? And he's given this a real serious speech on the microphone and he's wandering the stage and he walked right off the edge and dropped that and said, all of you here is, Oh, good Lord. <laughs> Hold on. I have audio. Let's play this. Here's Kelsey Grammer walking off the stage. Drift trip through. It's a small world pretending I was a UN interpreter. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I, I think I'm... Wow, that was really, really bad. <laughs> How could you do that? <laughs> I always have it on standby. <laughs> oh, my God. And again, you know, if a, if a truck had come by and run him down, it wouldn't have been that funny. But when somebody just idly does it to themselves because they're not paying attention to their surroundings or in some way they're blinded by the light ripped off like a deuce another runner in the night something like that oh my god one of the suggestions did you ever see this video years ago the grape stomping lady who falls no it's gonna i gotta explain the visual it's like a newscaster lady and some other lady they're standing in a purple mini bucket of grapes stomping on them to make wine and then like the i love lucy episode yeah i guess in a sense and then she says, stop. And then as a joke, she keeps going. And then she goes flying off the platform. But here's the sound of it. Don't you believe this? <laughs> Hold you on. Here it ready is. ready to try it? Yeah, sure. Let's go. That's disgusting. Let's All right. Go. You ready? Give us a 30-second time. Here we go. So what's the deal here? I'm going to fast forward the 30 seconds that I'm stomping. And we go to here. Having wine tours and tasting, vineyard tours, seminars, arts and crafts. It's a lot of fun. A whole day. Stop. my groin my uterus and fucking I guess I think she's hurt <laughs> well where so, do we go from so, here <laughs> where do we go from here now that all the children have grown up and how do we spend our time knowing nobody gives us a damn <sighs> it's your show. Hey, you know what? We're going to start with reviews because this was one week where I watched most of both Friday shows. And for oh, the God most damn. part, they weren't terrible. I hate what? They weren't as terrible as usual. I don't know what you were watching. Well, let's find out. Let's start with SmackDown. Well, there you go. Because it, here's the thing. SmackDown was not as terrible as SmackDown usually is. I will agree with you there. Rampage was worse than Rampage usually is because of three reasons. Number one, it was twice as long. 
Number two, the matches were garbage. And number three, I actually had to watch it because you made me. You said, oh, you got to see Action Bronson. You got to see the other part of the Grand Slam. I didn't mm-hmm. make you. you. You indicated you were going to watch it. Because you gave me that look. See? Just like the one you're yeah, giving give me right now. right now. That's right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about SmackDown because we already reviewed the first segment on the experience, which was Sami Zayn being accepted by the Bloodline with a brand new t-shirt they could sell. Yes, the- and actually that that segment alone made the show kind of halfway worth watching because that yeah. was it was long as the first 20 minutes. Everybody was great. You got Heyman, you got Sammy, you got Roman. You know, you got all the people you need to have. As much as I'm not a fan of all the talking and the way it's done in wrestling, I'd be okay with Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman being the hosts of SmackDown and opening and ending every episode <laughs> with a 15-minute segment of them in the ring just doing whatever the hell they do. Yes, just anything. But after that opening segment, we had a women's title match, Liv Morgan versus someone you've been asking about, Lacey Evans. Yes, we did. And boy, howdy. Who did Lacey Evans piss off? That's my question. Because I don't know that I have seen a more talented female performer booked in such ridiculous, shitty ways ever from any company. And what are you supposed to think about her? They had her do those promos. Again, part of this, I'm sure, was Vince and some weird Vince idea that he had. They had her do the promos as the abused child and the military hero and the determined young woman, which all led up to... (laughs) Her being a heel, because uh, for some reason, and then she's great as a heel. But now they're using her as fucking cannon fodder for this Liv Morgan experiment of trying to make people believe that Liv Morgan is now or ever has been or should be a professional wrestler. So. Lacey Evans, she looks great. She's got the size. She looks like a fucking athlete. Her work looks pretty good. She's got tremendous heel attitude and great body language when she's snatching the girl by the hair and taunting her and the fucking trash talking. And she did what she could in this to make Liv Morgan look like she belongs somehow in the fucking ring. I'm not saying that she uh, accomplished that, but she did what she could. I can see Lacey Evans as a as the heel that's being presented here without the weird backstory being on top of the female roster versus Charlotte or versus Bianca or versus Becky or versus Rhea or any of the you know the upper echelon women and you know again they had a goddamn Okay match from Lacey Evans' side. I can't see anything in Liv Morgan whatsoever. She's small and dainty and girly, and they're they're trying to make her extreme enough for Ronda Rousey, which is where this finish comes in. But at one point, however, I just got a kick out of this. Lacey Evans has the Cobra Clutch. And Liv Morgan just starts swinging wildly, slapping at her face above her head. 
and she just tatered Lacey Evans right in the nose, and Lacey just jerked her down and hit a couple fucking forearms like, fuck you, and a little stiff beal and a stiff kick. Like, Jesus Christ, settle down. And Lacey even did the head scissors and the push-ups. The old 70s heel bit. I haven't seen any kind of goddamn heel personality like that in ages. I'm in love with her, is what I wrote. I'm in love with Lacey Evans. And as soon as I wrote that, Lacey rolls out on the floor and gets a kendo stick out from under the ring and takes it in the ring. And the referee just stares at her, doing it. It's not a no-DQ match. At least they haven't said that. Again, in front of the referee, she swings the kendo stick. Liv Morgan ducks and tries to and fails to give her a code breaker. It's some fucked up kind of code breaker where she didn't hit it right. Lacey has to stagger to the ropes. Liv Morgan hits her awkward finish that never looks good. One, two, three. And I'm like, my God. Not only who does these finishes, but if you have to put Liv Morgan over, you can't find somebody more useless to do it than a potential star you've got that now you apparently have no idea how to use here. And then the babyface, Liv Morgan, wears Lacey Evans the heel out with the kendo stick to show that she is extreme enough for Ronda Rousey. And then puts her on a table on the floor. It sets up the table, puts Lacey on the table. Lacey lays there while Liv Morgan goes to the top rope and jumps off and ass drops Lacey Evans through the table. And I wrote, Jesus fucking Christ, ridiculous. So now in the first, in the first segment, in the girls' match, of the most professional company we've seen in a, in a regular match, not even no DQ. We've seen kendo sticks and a, a girl coming off the top rope and putting somebody through a table on a concrete floor and the wrong person won. What were your thoughts on this travesty? Remember, I insisted you watch this match because I found it fascinating. Yeah. It came on right after that opening segment, which I love that I'm watching live. And Lacey Evans is in the ring. No big introduction, no big coming to the ring with her march or whatever she used to do, nothing. She's just in the ring, looking like she's ready for a fight. I said, okay, I haven't seen her. We just talked about where is she? What is she doing? She was a Vince favorite. Is that something that's hurt her? Like it's hurt Austin Theory? So then I start watching this and I'm like, you know, she ain't bad. Yep. I'm so happy to hear you come to the same conclusion. I'm watching yep. this. I'm like, she's pretty good. And the kendo stick thing, I don't blame her. I don't blame her just because it's, you know, she's doing well, it. No, but. I'm not blaming. The point is that I'm blaming whoever comes up with these fucking yeah. finishes and what, you know, what in the world are they thinking? So I knew Liv Morgan would win just because they haven't used L Lacey Evans at all. Now they're not going to belt her on TV. But when the post-match happened, that's when I was like, oh my God, Jim has to fucking watch this. What happened to Lacey Evans? This is what happened. She's been off TV. They bring her back. She loses to Liv Morgan and then... I've never seen another woman have this happen to her on TV. She gets just put through a table. And that's it. Will we see her again? That's the question. I... Really talented, though. Jeez. Yes. 
So uh, again, I have no idea. But meanwhile, in the on the other side of the street, where they need good women wrestlers, they probably wouldn't think about hiring her in a million years. Anyway, um, this was a recurring piece of business in the entire program that Death Row is hosting a party in the back and Street Profits are there. and Hit Row, not Death Row. Hit hit Row. Hit Row. Hit Row. Hit me. Jump back. Got to kiss myself (laughs) one time. Hit Row. Um, All right. Well, it's death to ratings, whatever. Um, There's a party in the back and it's, it's lit like a lounge and everybody's drinking out of their red cups. And at this point, one of the street prophets sang something for some reason and made Harley start barking. She's just sleeping in the floor. I'm watching this show. And all of a sudden, he hit that note and she started barking and nothing else had happened. So he's got a voice that can call dogs. Anyway, um, you know, every time that we talk about God, if they didn't have a fight in the back every show three or four times, that it would actually mean something when they did one right with somebody that can actually do it. They actually finally did that. Sami Zayn in the back getting insulted by Ricochet and and Mosh Pit. And they're talking about his new shirt and they're, you know, just, they're knocking him. And all of a sudden, Solo busts in and kicks the shit out of both of these guys, bounced them off the garage door. It looked surprising. It was out of nowhere. It looked good. He kicked the shit out of them. Now, maybe we've got something with Solo. He was he was serious about this. It wasn't one of the shit beatings or the you know stagey phony looking fights especially remember the the one the the kookamonga kids had the hardly boys over there on AEW when their their father supposedly got busted open and it was also phony or they remember the time there was another one with nick jackson under the door i know you i know where you're gonna go yes the garage door (laughs) that he was holding down on himself but you know but anyway solo looked good here and then they did a package on the Usos with Heyman doing the voiceover, praising them, obviously. And this made them look like a bigger stars than the booking does. It, you know, they're soon to be the longest reigning tag team champions in WWE history. That's a great record. But if you've, if you've watched what they've done, you know, they get, well, we've mentioned it 20 million times. They beat the other tag teams, and then whoever Roman's program is with beats them up one against two. So it's just, anyway, but the package was great. Uh, New Day versus Mansoor and Massey. Everybody started this match out, even the girl Dupree, I can't remember what her name is, doing comedy. Of Maxine. Various Maxine. The only talent that was involved in this whole thing that I would actually watch on purpose is fucking L.A. Knight, and he was standing out on the floor and he's ruined. So did I miss anything? I think he ended up storming off. <laughs> Almost. We can, we can only hope for a shoot. 
Yeah, we'll see where they go. I mean, if it's Triple H in charge and he's the one who signed him to developmental to begin with, maybe he realizes how misused this is, but they don't want to just end it right away. I watched a little bit of it because I found that humor is seeing Mansoir and Mansoor, whatever their names are, fucking selling while wearing makeup or whatever the fuck's going on there. I think one of them is a Mansoor. Uh, other than that, no, I didn't really pay too much attention. New Day, one of my least favorite uh, tag teams ever, so I try not to watch their stuff. You mentioned, I, I wonder, we've talked about people leaving, storming out of the locker room, right? Having an issue, and Austin did it that one time before Raw, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I wonder, has anybody ever left directly from the ring? Just, just said, in the middle of it, just said, fuck it. You know what? Fuck this. Fuck working here. Yes. Fuck Who? Jeff Hardy. Well, did, did, no, he did. He just went to the back, though. No, he walked. Didn't he walk right out of the building? Well, yeah, but he didn't. No, he walked out into the crowd, but he didn't. Nobody said that he left his bags and possessions and That's belongings true. in That's the locker true. room. He just he left the ring that way. But I assume he went back to get his goddamn shoes. That must have been awkward. I left my socks. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but but wouldn't that be great if old L.A. Knight just looked around and said, "You know what." I want to be a wrestler. I've done this for 15 years or whatever the fuck. And they've got me out here in the middle of this shit. Fuck it. And just climb the barricade out the front door, hail a fucking cab. Just go home. Just say, fuck you. He would, ha he would be the first one I can think of in a while that would have a goddamn good reason to just look around him and realize, my God, look at what I'm doing. Anyway, Jack Briscoe left from the Newark airport. And that's close. That's that's probably the closest thing to this particular angle that you would find yourself where you just look around and go, why the fuck am I here and how the fuck quick can I get out of it? I'm trying to think, who are the suspects who would be the people that would just walk out? Terry Funk, same thing as Briscoe. He at least left a note, and it wasn't just in the middle of a match. Now, Eddie Gilbert would walk out in the middle of a match. Did he do that? I'm trying to remember. <laughs> I, I, you know, no, I don't think he did. But I think one night he had a match with Lawler in Memphis. And he was the booker. And somewhere or another, they had a fucking, I wasn't there that night, but Jerry Jarrett called me afterwards. They had some kind of argument and they decided Eddie wasn't going to be the booker anymore, and he left, and we came in to do the angle with the Fabs and Lawler and Dundee, whatever, for six weeks. And on our last night in, when they had beat us, and and uh, Lawler and Dundee in the ring with their hands up, Eddie Gilbert fucking passes by us on the way back to the locker room. He hits the ring and throws a fireball at Lawler, and they start to the program over again. <laughs> what the fuck? Was he just out in the parking lot for six weeks? Jerry Jarrett had called me after and said, well, Eddie's not the booker anymore. What were y'all going to do? And I told him, he said, okay, well, let's keep doing that. But no, Eddie's not coming back. And six weeks later, he comes right back, throws a fireball and boom. And here that's, we the, that's the epitome of 90s Memphis right there. That story sums up an entire fucking yeah. decade. But anyway, so they did something else good on SmackDown briefly. Did you notice that here comes Braun Strowman, the big entrance, the big returning star. He was, he has been presented as a main event guy. People know who he is. And they've got him going to the ring at the top of the nine o'clock hour. So if anybody's switching around, 
That's a, an old Vinceism. But then, if they were switching around, they'd see Braun Strowman in the ring and go, okay, let's see what... And here comes Otis and Gable. And the announcers were trying desperately, underlined desperately, to list Otis's real amateur wrestling credentials, talk about his size, talk about he's got goddamn, you know, a pocket nuke in his pocket. Some They were trying to give him credibility and credentials that he should be in the ring with Braun Strowman, hoping it would make people overlook the way he's been booked since he's been there. A simpleton that has been made to look like a comedy figure and is wearing a t-shirt that says shush across the front of it. They put in a single match with their big man among monsters or monsters among men or monsters among my, whatever the fuck he is. So meanwhile, Strowman is wearing a t-shirt and red sweatpants. Not even a t-shirt. He's just wearing a fucking gym shirt that's five sizes too big and sweatpants, and Otis is in a shush t-shirt. It looked like goddamn bum fights. And, I mean, Strowman is limited. We've talked about this, but some of his shit gets over, but not against the only... I mean, Otis is five feet eight, right? Even though he's 360. So... The the fucking deal is they're trying to act like it's giant versus giant, but Otis is still a foot shorter and has been presented as a comedy figure. Strowman opens up at the bell, beals him, and then hits him with a drop kick, and he got up as far as a five foot eight guy's stomach for the drop kick. Maybe somebody will tell Braun not to do the drop kick unless he can actually get up there like Big Show used to do. So then Gable's on the outside. He foiled the ring run around and Otis gets Strowman from behind, gets a a little bit of heat on the floor and then gets him back in the ring. And you can tell that both Otis and Braun Strowman, Strowman doesn't know how to sell or has been put in a position to sell that much. And After a few things, it was kind of awkward, flat-footed, plodding heat because Otis ran out of things to do to Braun and was just clubbing him with some broad arms and and Braun didn't really know how to fucking sell it. And then, finally, Braun hits a spine buster, goes out to the floor, hits a tackle on Otis, he goes over the desk, throws Gable over the barricade, all this is fine, you're making your monster. And then... Did an awkward spot with Otis, and Otis slammed him. Otis slammed him. I repeat, Otis slammed Braun Strowman. John Studd got five years out of teasing taking a body slam. And this comedy mid-card guy slams Braun Strowman. And then hit a Vader bomb and got a two-count. And this is not as good as it sounds on description here because it was rough. And then, yes, and Harley even just said, and then Otis missed a diving headbutt and Strowman hit the powerbomb, which did get a huge pop because you got a 360-pound fat guy being powerbombed. One, two, three. 
I feel it's an indictment of the current state of the roster and the booking of Otis if that's all they have to put Braun Strowman over on national television. Because this was rough. And he just got back. Right now is the time that you want to do something really big with him so that he seems bigger than ever before <laughs> right when he came back as opposed to now he's just another guy doing stupid shit on the show already. And again, a, a smaller, because Strowman is badly limited and he, he's that big. So it's, it's not a bad thing and it's not his fault. He's that, that's his calling card. He's that big. He's not a good wrestler and he's limited in what he can do, but he's that big. So get a smaller guy that's experienced that can accentuate that to put him over. Don't make him competitive with a guy that you've been doing comedy skits with for the last fucking six months. It has a stupid look on his face and looks like if fucking Plowboy Frazier and that midget that I saw pictures of him with one time had kids. Anyway... Should we move on? Yeah. To <laughs> folks, just remember it's fire season. Don't set forest fires. Um, Drew McIntyre comes out to do a promo, and he's talking about Karrion Cross, and he challenges Karrion Cross to a strap match at Extreme Rules. So now they're going to do a pay-per-view with a bunch of matches that have no rules when all of their goddamn regular matches pretty much have no rules. But it was a good promo. Drew McIntyre looks good. He's got the size, etc. Blah, blah, blah. But again, as soon as he makes the challenge, instantly the music plays. Here comes Scarlet to the ring. And is it not now... I I get modern wrestling fans. I hear them all the time saying, well, back in the, you know, the old days of wrestling, it was so silly or predictable or phony. Look at like, I don't know what they're looking at, but isn't it now a tired old modern wrestling trope that as soon as somebody issues a challenge or mentions a name, their music is cued and here they come. It's the most tired of them all. I would argue. And you didn't see that in territory wrestling. You know why? Because it was fucking phony. And it's still phony. It looks phony. It's too perfect. It's a setup cue. Let people storm down with no music at an inopportune time. It gets people into it. Never mind. Anyway, they can't listen. So when Scarlet comes to the ring, Carrie and Cross, imagine this attacks Drew McIntyre from behind. How many times have we seen this just in the two programs on Friday? Somebody comes down the one way, you're looking at them, somebody comes the other way. That was a great deal too back in the day until it happened six times a week. So there they get in a fight and McIntyre post carrying cross and then puts the strap on Cross's wrist and then gets the other end and starts whipping a bejesus out of Cross, and Cross sold it big. And, okay, we've got some interest in a strap match going on here, and as Cross is selling, Scarlet rolls in and blocks his prone body like, no, no, stay away. And Drew McIntyre is like, why I oughta, should I? But he pauses, 
and she's fumbling with something. And she tries. What the point of it was, was that it was she was going to fire a fireball at Drew McIntyre's face, and I assume the plan was to hit him with it and burn him. But it went straight past him. And this young, unless it was Karrion Cross and Scarlett's idea to do this in this fashion, unless they brought the equipment, they were not well served by the production department or who set whoever set this thing up. Because for one thing, they used a palm gun. And I tried one of those out one time in the 80s at home at my house before I used it in the ring. And they don't work. Not for this application. A palm gun, it's a thing that you you slip your middle finger in it and you've got it in your palm. And instead of, I, some of them use flash paper, I believe, but there's also a flash type of cotton. And I don't mind going into detail on this because it's not been used in wrestling for the reason I'm about to explain, and I don't know why they tried to use it now. But if you put the uh, the wad of flash cotton in this thing, it's a little barrel, and when you press a button with your thumb, it sh it's supposed to both light the flash paper or flash cotton and fire it out where the ball comes out of the barrel of this thing that's hidden in your hand, right? The problem is, first of all, even if it works right, it's projecting the flash paper or flash cotton too fast. The fireball goes too fast. It goes up in the air, and it fucking dissipates quickly because flash paper burns up quickly, especially the tighter that it's wadded. Loose means bigger fireball. Tight means smaller fireball. So after the initial time I burned Garvin with the fireball, that was the first time I'd ever thrown one. And Dusty showed me how to do it. Then I saw one of these flash or the palm guns at a magic shop, and I got one to bring it home and try it to see if it'd be easier, and that's where I determined that no. It actually would be worse, and it doesn't work. The way to make the fireball not only big, but not go 100 miles an hour and go in the direction that you want it is to have the flash paper, as I mentioned, balled loosely. You've got the fucking source of flame, usually a big lighter in your other hand, and all you've got to do is flick that lighter and touch just one corner of that paper to the flame and turn your hand up and open and the flame naturally rises up unless you've got a strong fan or something, which is why you have to put it under the person's face and let it go upwards into it. Sheik did it coming out of his, the uh, uh, waistband of his tights and always made the up motion like that. Same way I did it with Garvin and other people that I've done it with. Same way that anybody that's ever hit a fireball <laughs> hit the target. That's the way you do it. So she didn't have a Bic lighter. 
She didn't have loosely wadded flash paper. She didn't do it barehanded, and she didn't fucking floosh it up like that. She used a palm gun that she activated with her fucking thumb, and it shot the goddamn... <laughs> if you slow-mo it, Brian, you could actually see the white wad of flash cotton come out past his head before it burst into flame. My slow-mo on my DVR catches the moment that it burst into flame and it was already a foot past his head. So anyway, the point is, unless Scarlet is an experienced magician or master of prestidigitation or ledger domain, somebody gave her that and they ought to be horsewhipped because that was doomed to failure from the beginning. But since that's what happened, it, it, it came out so fast, and, it, and those are hard to aim also to begin with. So they just, <laughs> McIntyre realizes he can't sell it. Cross has to get back on him. They get back. They call an audible. McIntyre hits a spine buster, turns his back to Scarlet. She nut shots him. And then Cross chokes him out. And then while he's got the choke on him, he promos him at the same time. And in the last little bit of adding insult to injury, he's got the fucking, this has been going on. And it stopped when the girl got in the ring, and then it started again after the fireball was missed, and then it fucking, now he's choking the guy and talking to him. Not one referee, not one security guard, not one friend of Drew McIntyre's, not one baby face, nobody, nobody even rang a bell. Nobody, the announcers were like, well, they shouldn't be doing this. Well, nobody was trying to stop them. So they're trying to give this guy a fucking push, Karen Cross, and he's got the look and he's got the girl and his work, I guess, ain't bad. We've seen a bit of him. They're trying to give him a big push, but th this was a goddamn clusterfuck. And it, it, I know sometimes I've seen things happen with, especially with the fire. You know, whether the the Bic lighter gets wet because you're sweaty or the flash paper gets wet because you're sweaty or, you know, the Iron Sheik in Evansville that night to Jimmy Hart. Jimmy, it won't strike. It won't strike. But this was just, no, it didn't need to be this way. Had nobody in that building ever done this and know how it's supposed to be done? Or did they just read about it on the Internet? Your thoughts? To answer that question, who in the building would have any experience with this? Well, then why'd they try to do it? They do lots you know, of stupid stuff. You know stuff. what I've never done? I've, I've never mixed nuclear materials to make an atomic bomb, so I'm not going to fucking try. Without knowing what preparation was put into this, is there a chance they did try it and it did work? And then, you know, you get in the ring, you're on live TV, all of a sudden there's extra sweat, whatever it is, it didn't work properly? That's possible. I don't really know. It wasn't, it couldn't possibly have been as picturesque as a hand-thrown fireball would be using that apparatus. So I don't know why they would do that, but even if it did work at first, it maybe they don't know what it's supposed to look like. If it worked at first, it would have shot the fireball at like 100 miles an hour into his face, and it would have been gone in a second, and a lot of people would probably have missed it. That's if it worked right with using that apparatus. Did Lawler ever know. miss? Did Lawler ever miss with his fireball? 
Um, well, it, it, if he got the fireball off, it didn't miss. And, and I mean, I've seen the, the Sheik cause he did it so often. Every once in a while, Sheiks would go sideways and, but it, he, he would usually make such a big ball that it would be close enough for rock and roll with whatever anyway. But I've said with Lawler, that's a time when he and the Iron Sheik were going back and forth with the fireballs, right? And fucking, uh, that was the one night. No, it was in Louisville at Jimmy Hart and the first family were holding Lawler. And Sheik had the fucking paper and had the lighter. And that's where he's going, Jimmy, it won't strike. It won't strike. He had the paper, but the, the lighter had gotten wet. So the next night, they're in Evansville and this in the finish. Lawler's going to hit Sheik with the fireball. Well, his goddamn paper got wet and the paper wouldn't fucking. So then they'd already made the promos for the next week in Evansville where Lawler talked about burning the Sheik, giving him a taste of his own medicine the previous week. So what Lawler did was he threw Sheik out on the floor and he grabbed his lighter and he took him all around every side of ringside, flicking the bick in his face while fucking. She sold, oh my God, it burns, it burns. <laughs> to show everybody that he, that he burned it. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Well, what do you, I mean, hey, quick thinking though, right? Because the interviews were going to play. Uh, but, but. <laughs> One of the people at ringside thinking he's chasing him with a big lighter. Oh, he had him in a headlock and he was taking him in front of everybody, flicking the bick in his face. And she's screaming, hit the burns, hit the burns, hit the burns. Yeah. But I mean, things like that. I mean, you know, when sometimes you go to hit a guy with a bottle, break a bottle over his head. And the bottle will break too soon. It, 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 one of the most famous was when Jimmy Valiant rolled into the ring on Lawler and Harley Race in December of 77 in the NWA title match. They'd gone 60 minutes to a draw the week before. And at the end of the 60 minutes, Lawler had him covered. So they come back the next week with a 90-minute time limit. And in that one, everybody thought, okay, Lawler's going to win the world title. And Jimmy Valiant, who wasn't even booked on the card, came in in street clothes right when Lawler had just got Harley Race. He'd given him the pile driver because the referee was down. And the people knew that he had Harley at that point. And Jimmy Valiant comes in with a bottle. And he's going to roll in. And as Lawler comes up, like, what the fuck? He's going to break the bottle over his head, right? Well, as Jimmy jumped the rope that was around the ring and started to come up on the apron, his, his foot or however he started to roll in the ring, his foot or knee or whatever slipped off the apron and it caused him to boom down on the apron of the ring for a second. And that bottle started falling apart <laughs> and he had it palmed in his hand and he was able to get the swing and hit Lawler with his close enough for rock and roll. The people popped. But if you slow-mo, the existing film, you can actually see a piece or two of the bottle falling out of his hand before he got to the, the, the head. So then he fucking not only boom, he broke the bottle over his head, Lawler goes down, and then he comes up on his knees and Valiant takes the broken bottle and not only rips him down the arm, but stabs him in the fucking heart. And Lawler bladed his chest and his arm, and they called an ambulance. 
and he went to the hospital and got stitches. It was reported in the newspaper. No charges were filed, is what the you know the report said. But wrestler Valiant stabs Jerry Lawler, and when they not only he went to the hospital and got the stitches, but he came out on TV the following Saturday morning with stitches in his chest and arm, and the people, oh my God, that's why Valiant was such a fucking hot heel when he first came in. They did. God, I can't, was it, it may have been 13 or 14 weeks that program went, almost weekly, almost all singles, every once in a while a tag team match, but Lawler and Valiant, it was insane, and they kept doing shit like that to, to, you know, keep the interest up, and fuck, people went to kill Hanson. But anyway, where were we? Oh, did it, fireballs or anything like that, fuck, you, you, yes, when you're, this is not a movie. It's not Hollywood. You don't get a second chance. It's 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 not Memorex ever. It's fucking live when you're in front of the people and also when you're not using movie props. Uh, they may now, I well they do now. We know they figured out a way to have fake barbed wire and you know movie candy glass and all that stuff, but in the territory days there was never any kind of movie prop. You were modifying existing materials. It was a real bottle. You just treated it. Or, you know, we've we've talked about the various things. The real chairs, real tables, real everything. There was hopefully at some point some element of illusion or trickery to it or preparation involved, but so, yeah, sometimes those things misfire, which is why you've got to know what you're doing and everybody's got to be on the same page and before you do it. And I would I would I would just bet that's probably, you know, the first time they've ever used any kind of apparatus like that. If the angle where Jerry Lowell got run over by Eddie Gilbert happened in the late 70s, if it was Jimmy Valiant or someone else, would the same thing have happened just based on the difference in the late 70s versus 1990? Would the police have made the same thing happen where Lawler would have to come out on the show as opposed to going to the hospital and no charges oppressed? Um, honestly, it would have probably been a it would have been a bigger issue because civilians would have come to the station in the late seventies. There were more viewers of the show in the late seventies. Well, too, no, but right? not only that, but also they no, they would have come to take matters in their own hands, I think. They would have, instead of just calling the police saying, my God, Eddie Gilbert's just killed Jerry Lawler on live television, I think they would have come themselves to try to get a hold of Eddie Gilbert. And there, and then the Channel 5 would have been calling the cops to keep the people out of the parking lot, rather than the other way around. If people uh, showed up to get a wrestler, could Lance Russell, did he have enough presence with those wrestling fans that he could talk them down if it got to that point? Do you think? Yes, yes, it... it Unless there was a physical situation happening and people didn't hear him or it was already started or whatever, no, the, every wrestling fan in Memphis, if Lance Russell had appeared in the parking lot or said something in the studio or whatever he said, as long as they heard him, they would have done whatever he said. But if, if something had happened, you know, and they didn't know it was Lance, oh, Lance, I didn't know it was you trying to pull me off or whatever. But but yeah, that there there was a... The difference, I think, in the amount of people that had smartened up and the fact that 
you know, there was less heat and there was, the viewership was less at that point and the whole thing. The difference in 1979 or 80 and 1990 would have been that there would have been, I don't know how many actual civilians go to the TV station and either see if Lawler was dead or try to get hold of Eddie Gilbert or both. Because, I mean, you know, it's it's not like that they didn't have issues to begin with, just in a lot of cases back in the 70s, just dispersing the crowd that couldn't get in Saturday morning taping because the tickets were free, but you had to have a ticket because they had there was a rule about how many people the TV station could allow legally in the studio, and everybody had to have, you know, a ticket which was sent out by the TV station with a date on it. And that way they only sent out their their quota, but all the kids that lived in the neighborhood knew that if everybody who had a ticket didn't show up, they would let some extra people in at the last minute, and that's how you ended up with all those kids in there every week. But it was six months waiting list to get a ticket to studio wrestling from the TV station at that point. If you wrote in in January, they might have something they can send you for June. And then if you can't show up that day, well, then one of the little kids gets your spot. At what point did you realize you can go every week? Uh, when I got into business. Was it right away? As soon as you started taking photos, you knew you could? No, when I got in the business as a manager. Oh, in 82. Mind, an 800-mile <laughs> round trip to go to TV every Saturday morning from Louisville for free? Fuck. Hey, listen, we'll get back to the SmackDown review, which we haven't finished yet in a moment. Well, I can. The last match was the Usos against the Brawling Brutes, and who gives a shit? And that was SmackDown, ladies and gentlemen. But yes. You were bringing up Memphis. I did want to ask you about this, because someone uh, sent this tweet to Corny, uh, or to at to neither of those, to hashtag corny drive through on Twitter. <laughs> the guy's name is Duckin' Thickhead. <laughs> Yesterday, as I'm writing this, September 25th, 1982, Jim Cornette debuted managing Sherry Martell. 40 years. Somebody get that motherfucker a cake. <laughs> I didn't realize that. You managing Sherry was 40 years ago, a couple days ago. Yes, as a matter of fact, the 40th anniversary of my first... Uh, TV appearance was back in August, and I forgot to mention that too. And then I just saw on Twitter, I realized it was after the first three or four weeks of me being turned down by the various baby faces, they didn't want anything to do with me, uh, rich kid, mama's boy trying to get in the business. When I got to TV that morning, I thought we were doing more of the same thing. And that's when Jerry Jarrett said, okay, you get to manage your first set of tag team champions today. And I'm like, what? They had Sherry Martell and Leilani Kai in to work with, oh gosh, was it Velvet McIntyre and who was on the other side? Shit, I can't remember off the top of my head. But anyway, they were in and they were billing Sherry and Lonnie as the women's United States tag team champions, right? So that was going to be basically just Jared just wanted me to get another promo on TV and be at ringside, right? So they're only in the territory for a week. So he was going to put me with the women's U.S. Tag Team Champions. Well, apparently they'd already been <laughs> in a territory a couple of days, and Lonnie had gone to 
I guess Tupelo the night before or whatever, and they'd eaten something, and she was sick in bed at the hotel, so Sherry was in a single. And I'm here with one half of the women's U.S. tag team champions, and she had a match, and uh, and that was the first time I officially managed anybody on TV that day, and then the Cook Convention Center show, because we were in the Mid-South Fair at that time, so the Coliseum wasn't open. Went to the Cook Convention Center the next day and managed both of them in their tag team match. And that was officially my first time at ringside in an arena. And there you go. Well, let me ask you, I don't know. And then, and then after that, I never saw the, I don't know what kind of contract we signed, but I never saw my women's U.S. tag team champions again. after that. And actually the following week in Jackson, Tennessee, they put Sherry in the 21-person battle royal, and Plowboy Frazier, somebody as a rib, pushed him down backwards, and he fell on her leg and broke it, and she was out of wrestling for about six months. Were you managing her for that battle royal? No, I only managed them. The, the, that was, Jared just wanted me to have a dry run because the following week in Memphis, they were back at the Coliseum. That's when we did the thing with Dutch, and I, I my first time managing in the Mid-South Coliseum, I managed Dutch against Lawler in the main event for the Southern heavyweight title. So I, I was scared enough as it was, I guess he didn't want to send me out to main event, the fucking mid South Coliseum when I'd never actually been at ringside before to manage. So he gave me practice. Well, it's too bad you weren't there for that battle row. We could have said you were a pioneer in intergender wrestling, but Jim, I can imagine you were nervous. I'm sure when you shaking like a dog shitting peach seeds, I was. Whatever that means, I'm sure that's what you were. And of course, you may get so nervous that you don't eat breakfast, you don't eat lunch. You have to make sure you eat dinner, but whatever you eat, you have to make sure you're eating something healthy. And we have something brand new we could tell the listeners about, something that is healthy and delicious. And that is our friends at Factor. And you managed to utter all that, Brian, without ever saying anything legible to tell people what Factor is. Folks, I'll tell you what Factor is. Factor is the best eating you're going to be doing with the least amount of effort. Because Factor has ready-to-eat meals that keep you fueled up and feeling good, no matter how crazy your schedule may get. You know, fall is a busy time for a lot of people. It's always busy around here. It's always busy where you are, Brian. A lot of people don't have time to sit down and cook these multi-course meals. But at the same time, you want to eat healthy. You want to eat, you say you want your protein, you want to get good protein, or you want to eat keto-friendly or calorie-smart or vegan and veggie. Vegan and veggie or vegan and veggie? Why isn't it vegan then? If it's veggie, why isn't it vegan? Well, there's two different things. Being a vegan is different than... Not being a veggie, but being a vegetarian. Well, it's pronounced differently, and why? But nevertheless, if you need to uh, get good food, stick to a special diet, don't have a lot of time to spend prepping things, you go to Factor. That's what you do. We've already actually gotten some of the, you know, Stacy's doing the keto diet, and she got the keto-friendly stuff, and she's it's just so delicious. But no matter what kind of diet you're on or what kind of schedule you keep, you don't have to spend six to eight hours in the kitchen anymore, you know, cooking the the uh, the the beef from scratch. You know, you got to go out, you got to kill the cow, you got to cut it apart, you got to lug it up the hill to the kitchen, you got to 
roasted over an open flame for hours. No more of that. How many how many hours does it take you to fix a cow, Brian? I've never had to fix a cow, thankfully. I thought you liked beef, so you're a vegan or I'm a veggie? I'm not a vegan or a vegan or a vegetarian or whatever you're trying to say. I like cows. I don't personally have anything to do with the handling of the cow. You got nothing against the cows. It just when it's time for them to die, it's time for them to die. But you don't take it matters into your own hands. I don't even want to be there when the death is happening. I just want to hear about it. So you just want people to come and scream at you, the cow must die! Oh, a whisper would probably be better, but... Yes, let me know what's going on. Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about... Because it, because it takes hours to kill and fix your own dinner anymore. Especially now that it's harder than ever to find wildlife. You've got to spend hours just searching for it before you can hunt it down and kill it and then drag it home and then cook your own dinner. Well, the people at Factor are knocking this schedule, this time schedule, down to minutes. They make it fast and easy and healthy, like we mentioned. Prepared meals delivered to your door. They offer 30-plus meals a week and 36-plus. Seems like an awful specific number to then add plus to. Add-on options, smoothies, juices, and snacks, no matter what you're looking for. They have a commitment to ingredients with integrity. All of these ingredients, folks, are honest as the day is long. If, if, if you have bacon before that pig was killed, it never told a lie in its life. Ingredients with integrity, and they're flexible. You can change your order up every week with plans from 4 to 18 meals a week. 18 meals a week? What kind of goddamn diet are you on? Well, you have to have multiple big meals hog. a day. What are you talking? Who are you calling a big hog? I'm just, Somebody's eating 18 meals a week, for heaven's sake. How many meals a week do you eat? How many days are there? There are seven days in a week. Well, and I eat seven meals. Dude, one meal a day? Yeah, takes a while to eat that much food. Anyway, they offer fast, simple solutions, as I mentioned, with the Protein Plus meals or the keto-friendly meals or all the other kind of meals. They've got that the Protein Plus has 30 grams of protein or more. And the best part about it's cheaper than carry-out and take-out and all the Uber Eats and the delivery services. It's cheaper than all that stuff. It's restaurant quality. Chef crafted. Chef crafted. There is no chef crap involved with this food. Oh, chef crafted. God damn you. They craft your food. They, they don't crap your food, for the record. It's chef crafted recipes. They will not crap in your food. <laughs> no, However, it's also dietitian approved. So you got that going for you. And, and I'll tell you, as I mentioned, it's delivered right to your door. Ready mailed, ready mailed meals. Ready made <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> ready made meals that are mailed right to your door. <laughs> as a matter of fact, if you get the best program, the guy shows up and you got to tell him now. They're very punctual. He'll show up at noon, then again at 6 p.m., Right with your door with that meal. They must have the microwave in the car because it's hot when he hands it to you. And if you give him a $20 tip, he'll stick it in your mouth and rub your throat until it goes down so that's you don't have to not, chew. That's not it. And you even saying that you're diminishing the greatness of Factor, which is they deliver fresh food. Maybe put, I just got the right delivery guy who was in a frisky mood that day. I'm not sure, but they give you fresh food, nothing that's ever been yes. frozen. 
And no. you, you can heat it up in the microwave or if yes. you're if you have a palate that you want something that tastes a little better, you can put it in your oven and do it the right way. But it is delicious. We've been eating it here. And I have to say, they have a chicken Parmesan dish that was delicious. And I couldn't believe how fresh the chicken was. It was like the and, bird had yes. just been killed. And he was an honest son of a bitch, too, before he met his demise. He'd never told a lie in his life. The bird? That's right. Like I said, they've got ingredients with integrity. <laughs> the animals themselves have integrity. They certainly do. That's what I was saying. If that You get a piece of bacon, that pig, never told a lie in his life, never cheated anybody, never stole anything. But what about I'll have you know that the cow that I ate week before last used to help old ladies across the street. What about the options that have no meat? Because, of course, our friends who don't like meat, they'll be taken care of as well. Well, yeah, but what are you, out of your mind? Are you thinking they can get a piece of broccoli with integrity? Broccoli can't speak at all. You don't broccoli think... <laughs> never tells a lie. You don't think broccoli has integrity? Broccoli's not able to have integrity. Bro broccoli has no personality. In any cartoon that I've ever seen Broccoli portrayed as having legs or arms or a personality, usually they wear glasses and they seem pretty on the ball. Where, what? I've watched a lot of Sesame Street with my kids. Watching? I watch a lot of Sesame Street with my kids. And well, I'm not going to let you put down Broccoli. All right, well, none of the Broccoli and the dinners from Factor come from Sesame Street. Now, folks, you gotta you you want to know how to get in on this at this point. You 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 want to know how to have healthy meals pre-prepared with nutritious ingredients that are good for you and approved by dietitians. You want to know how to have those brought to your house, whether or not you get the friendly delivery boy that rubs your throat so you don't have to chew. And you wouldn't believe what he did for that. dessert. You won't get that. It'll be delivered the same way all parcels are delivered to your house by a all professional right, well, who will leave. Even if a professional who'll leave, well, he left when it was time. But even if you don't get Claude to deliver for you folks like I did, and now just take a Claude. piece of paper, huh? Claude? Claude. Like the Iron I, Claw? No, Claude. Claude. Oh, like Claude Patterson, my Thunderbolt. Claude. Yes, okay. yes. I thought I you meant you were going to claw the people like a fucking bobcat or something. No, no. I, I, I was talking about the delivery guy I got that was kind and went the extra mile for me. That's why I wrote down his name and phone number to have him come back. Claude? But, Claude, yes. <laughs> but anyway, if you've got a pen and a piece of paper, folks, you're going to write down the information on how to get in on this healthy, delicious food, these pre-prepared meals that are ready in minutes that are delivered to your door that won't make you fat or won't they'll fill you with protein. If you're a vegan or a veggie, they won't fucking hurt you whatever the case may be delicious food that's healthy and fresh it really is good i've been become a big fan of it well i i, I just look down at people that don't eat meat i eat meat it's well i'm not talking about you well you said talking it about all those vegans and veggies out there there's always a chance they could convert why are you going to put them down and ruin any chance they're going to even no. consider this because i'll think the people that eat meat are jerks I just, I, th I know they're trying to take care of animals, but, you know, thing is, somebody's going to eat that cow now. But nevertheless, if you'll go to here, to this, you go to go, G-O dot factor, F-A-C-T-O-R 75 dot com slash J-C-E 130. Say oh, that again. Say that again, I, please. I intend to. I intend to. And I could already 
see comments we're going to be getting about this. Now, write this down, folks. Go, G-O dot factor, F-A-C-T-O-R 75 dot com slash J-C-E 130 and use the code J-C-E 130 to get $130 off across six boxes of these fine nutritious ingredients and meals. So again, go.factor75.com slash JCE130. And if if it's worth that much to you, you'll get 130 bucks off across six boxes of the fine meals that you pick and choose for yourself. And you can pause these things. You can restart them. You can add. You can subtract. You can do all kinds of stuff. It's amazing. You'll be eating this stuff forever. Factor. Yes. Factor75.com slash. No, go got go dot factor75.com slash JCE130. Use the code JCE130. And I think what you meant to say is go dot factor75.com slash JCE130. That's what I thought I said. I was just reiterating and use the code JCE130. Yes. Do you think they wrote that down by now? Go.factor75.com slash JCE130? Yes. Sounds like a robot, doesn't it? Sounds like a fucking robot with Tourette's. Anyway, it's your program, but that's Factor, and they're delicious. Well, Jim, when you factor in that it was one of the biggest days (laughs) of the year for AEW, AEW Grand Slam in Queens at Arthur Ashe Tennis Stadium, it's the reason. Well, we actually for once watched Rampage, and of course, as you mentioned earlier, it was double the size, double the power, a two-hour Rampage. How much of it did you watch, and did you start at the beginning? I did start at the beginning, and I will never forgive you for this, because I I had to see the first match because of the injuries involved, because the clip went out of Julia Hart taking that death-defying bump where she actually did defy death because one inch farther back and she would have been dead. But apparently that was only the, the, well, the second or third injury in that match, depending on how you define injuries. It was Buddy and Brody, formerly the House of Black, now with no black, but with Julia Hart against Sting and Darby Allin. And, okay, yes, Sting, wrestling on Rampage, is bound to a big show, big crowd, bound to get somebody interested. I can understand that. But, good God, I felt so bad for him. But then again, I'm thinking, well, I don't know whether I feel bad for him. Because Sting is out there, he's 62 years old, and he's obviously being paid a large amount of money. One would imagine knowing Tony Khan and with Sting's status in the wrestling community over the last however many years, it's it's seven figures to get him to, to do this. And he's trying to earn the money. But instead of trying to maybe help teach the rest of these fucking lunatics anything about what they ought to be doing, he's trying to do what they're doing. And I've, at one point, it looked like somebody needed to bring him an oxygen tank. And that's before he got his head busted open. 
Because by the end of this thing, he was bleeding. Darby Allen got five staples in the top of his head. And then Julia Hart was nearly killed. And, I mean, it, it's every indie nightmare match that you could ever think of. They they, they did one that they finally got the House of Black entrance to look good. There comes Julia, and the lighting looked right, and then the two big guys. Okay, this looks kind of spooky. And then there is immediately Darby Allen and Sting behind them in their entrance, and they start the match on the ramp during the entrance and get a four-way fight on the floor and in the ring. And within two minutes, they're setting up the first table. And then, again, it was every nonsense indie match that you'd ever want to see with guys just going out and doing stupid shit for no reason, but it's the biggest budget, highest payroll indie match in recorded history. And just as I'd written that, Sting goes to the top rope and gets pushed off the top rope through a table to the floor and hit his head on the second table that was sitting next to it on the way down. So that's, a guess, where he was bleeding from. I don't know. And then Julia Hart brings handcuffs into the ring, and it takes all of the heels forever to handcuff Sting's hands behind his back which, by the way, is in front of the referee because, did I mention, this is no disqualification, lazy booking. And they go to the break with nothing happening except the heels are trying to handcuff Sting's hands behind his back, and they have none of them ever served on the police force because they couldn't do it. But when they come back from the break, now they're on the stage, back in the entranceway, two-on-one with Darby. And within the next... 60 or 90 seconds, Darby comes off the lighting platform and does a coffin drop onto a heel. And then they start doing spots on the stage. And then old fat tattooed up Brody guy gets a sleeper on Darby Allen. And they both fall off the stage through a table. Which is where Darby Allen got the five staples in his head, apparently. Every second this lasted seemed like hours. Because now they're at the point in every garbage indie match where they're not having a match and there's not even actually action going on. They're just setting up and moving around objects and furniture. And then Buddy comes back to the ring with a baseball bat where Sting is handcuffed. And Buddy sets up a chair in the ring and grabs Sting and sets him down in it. And since Sting is handcuffed with his hands behind his back, he just sits in the chair without getting up and moving because apparently now his ass is glued to the chair also. And he's sitting there daring the guy to hit him with the bat. I don't know, instead of standing up and kicking the guy with his free legs, he just, oh, hit me with a bat, I dare you. And Buddy draws back in a very grandiose and dramatic fashion so the lights can go out. And when the lights come back on, here comes the great Muda. We know it's Muda because he's already got an entrance video where it says his name, the great Muda. And Sting is still sitting in the chair, not moving, as Buddy turns around to look at Muda, who is in quicksand, creeping to the ring. So 
Mood is in quicksand. Buddy's a statue. And Sting is glued to the chair. And Buddy, when faced with Muda getting in the ring to face him, drops the bat. <laughs> and then steps sideways so Muda can stare at Sting. And then more nothing happens. And then Muda turns to Buddy, who now apparently wishes that he still had the bat that he just put down. And he tries to kick Muda, and Muda gives him a leg screw, leg lace, whatever they call it these days. And then hits him with the mist, and he backs up into Julia and wipes Julia off the apron of the ring, and she misses but attempts to go through the third table in this match. Which was clearly pre-cut. Well, but <laughs> I don't know that because I don't know what... You don't pre-cut tables. That's what I don't know. You saw her. She barely touched a thing. It broke in well, half. That's, that's what I'm trying to figure out because it's, she barely touched it, but it didn't break in half. It, uh, her ass, a shape like her ass that hit the table broke out. I've never seen a table break like that before, but you don't pre-cut the tables. But here's something else I noticed. I don't think they're taking that fucking plastic or metal rim off of them either. Which, the thing is, you don't pre-cut a table because if you land in the middle of the table, that your weight landing in the middle of an eight-foot table is what breaks the table, and the table breaking without being cut is also what absorbs some, or is supposed to absorb some, of the the fall so you don't just go plummet straight through it to the floor it breaks the fall a little bit but in this case she missed the table falling on it in the middle so it didn't break in half to break her fall but a big chunk of it came out where her ass hit and the back of her head hit the floor so i don't know how the fuck that happened but also there's a metal ring around a lot of these modern tables. And if you don't take that off before you land on the table, when the table breaks, the rim just flops up everywhere and can cut you open or do who knows what. Nevertheless, this all in, oh, and then Sting broke the handcuffs and hit the scorpion death drop on fucking Buddy. Thanks for coming, buddy. One, two, three. This could have been the worst match ever on AEW television. And imagine what kind of territory that takes in. But there, this would just... It's like, oh my God, we've got a big crowd, so we have to make our match as rotten and phony looking and stupid as possible and do everything that everybody else does in every other fucking match except Sting. <laughs> Sting's in it. Otherwise, it looked like every other fucking match that every other fucking indie guy has. I I would have fined everybody involved, but I'm sure Tony probably set half this thing up. What were your thoughts? I mean, the match was a disaster. It's not my style of wrestling if everything worked and people didn't get hurt. But at one point, they just went from like one camera cut to another. And there's Darby. He's down and out. Here's another person. He's down and out. And then, of course, 
The lights go out. What are you going to do? I'm going to stop doing anything I was going to do and stand here and freeze for the great Muda to come out and show you how to do the mist, by the way. Yeah, he did nail the mist. Yeah. He showed him how to do the mist, and then Julia Hart missed the table. How about that? <laughs> the Julia Hart thing is so problematic because when I first saw it, it was, you felt bad for her. You knew she got at least her bell rung there, just you had to have. Yeah. But when you talked about it, I never thought about it the way I do now until you laid it out about how close she was to really of her. The back of her head, just a few inches up, she's done. Yeah. More than likely. And that's where it becomes scary. And that's where it's something has there, to change, but nothing will change until someone gets seriously hurt. And then it will eventually change back to what it was when well, people what's get What's serious? What's, how many more surgeries do they need? How, has Kyle O'Reilly had his neck fused is what we're hearing? Nobody will admit it. You know, it shouldn't Fucking, be a rite of passage to go through a table. I guess that's the issue. Well, if you're going to... You know what? Again, if you do it right, I would rather get slammed off the top rope through a table by somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing to turn me right than I would to take any of these fucking goofy moves from any of these fucking green bastards where I get dropped on my head and my neck broken. Because at least I'd be in control of what I I just mentioned. But the point is, why go through a table now? There was three in this match. It's on every show. It's just, it's lazy at this point. It just, they, it makes a loud noise and something breaks so people will react to it. And then they won't remember it 15 minutes later. But what about, you might have a table leg through your fucking spleen, you fucking moron. A, again, there's an element of risk in everything, but you get people who know what the fuck they're doing and they pick their spots to do it, and it's acceptable in some fashion. But again, with Julia Hart, and I'm not exaggerating, and anybody that thinks I am, well, you're a fucking moron. If she went back two inches farther, it would have snapped her fucking neck and she'd have been dead before she hit the floor. Just go back and watch it. Tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. And if you do, after seeing that, you still think, I don't know what I'm talking about. Did I mention? Fuck you. So it's not a rite of passage. It's this poor teenage girl that got in the wrestling business, I guess, because she wanted to be on TV. And there's nobody there professional enough to fucking take care of her and teach her how this shit's supposed to be done. Or set an example by not doing stupid shit yourself. So anyway, speaking of stupid shit, are we moving on to the next match? Yes, I don't even remember what it was, but let's move on to it. I'll tell you what it was. It was Daddy Mac and Cool Hand Luke against Hook and Action Bronson. And Action Bronson, I thought you told me Brian was a rapper. Did you not tell me he was a rapper? He is indeed a rapper. Now, sometimes that doesn't necessarily translate well to live performance, especially when walking to a ring. Uh-huh. But in the studio, he spits fire. It sounded like he'd been trying to breathe fire and burned his vocal cords up. Do people buy his records? This sounded like a man with Tourette's syndrome having a stroke on the way to the ring. It was it, just a... He's a fat guy with tattoos. Yes, he looks like an indie wrestler. But, my God, a caster raps better. 
I couldn't even understand what this fucking jowl-faced moron was saying. Boy, you and hate he looked, him. You just hate this well, guy. But look moment at this fucking match. <laughs> You've got two fucking Jericho stooges that are presented as comedy, again, mid-card fucking stooge guys against Hook, who has all kinds of potential. And this guy, again, he's wearing a fucking dirty t-shirt and a, fair, a pair of jeans that shows his pale pasty white tattooed fucking legs and tennis shoes and he looks like a fat fucking mechanic and it, the the level of unprofessionalism by any of these people on this fucking program i love hook style all the throws and the suplexes and he's he looks like an athlete he needs some size he'll get older and bigger but putting him in with green heels and an amateur partner. And again, as a matter of fact, here's what I wrote. Action Bronson looks and dresses like a victim of a drug deal gone wrong that was just fished out of the East River. A fat guy that does shoulder tackles, so let's let him wrestle. Did he add one viewer? Does anybody outside New York know who this motherfucker is? And do any of those people care to watch him wrestle? People outside of New York know him. In fact, after we talked about him on the show, a lot of people pointed out he's one of the biggest stars on Vice TV. So there's that. I'm one of the biggest stars on Vice TV, and I can outwork Action Bronson. Is that your problem? Is it a competitive thing with you and Action Bronson? <laughs> Who's going to take over Vice TV? No, it's goddamn I'm sick of seeing six fucking rappers on the same program, and none of them know what the fuck they're doing either. But they allow them, they indulge them. If the guy wanted to rap hook to the ring, okay, I wouldn't like the music, but fine. But now they're, well, let's make him a wrestler because he's some kind of celebrity. So let's just show everybody that anybody can do this shit. So anyway, the faces went over with the double choke out. So now this guy, this obviously middle-aged, fat, out-of-shape fucking rapper just choked out a trained competitive professional wrestler in the first match the rappers ever fucking had. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Hey, look, not everyone can be Trina. Oh, we'll get to Trina. <laughs> Don't rush me on Trina. <laughs> he didn't take so, any bumps, but, you know, for a first performance, it was up there with Lawrence Taylor and uh, what Richard Belzer. Well, okay, I'll, I'll give you that. I mean, can you talk me into anything that I should have liked about this? No, I don't think I could talk you into it. No. Can you present a case for anything I should have liked about this? A lot of things happen in AEW that just kind of happen and then go away. So I'm sure this is what it was and now it is done. All righty then. So the next match, easy. Easy to figure out. There, every reason in the world why this should be taking place. Wardlow and Samoa Joe, as a tag team, faced Tony Nese and Josh Woods. And Tony Nese was the premier athlete or the great free agent or whatever, and he's never won a match on television. And Josh Woods was in Ring of Honor, and I don't know that We've ever seen him on television. 
and Wardlow and Samoa Joe have this long-running relationship. <laughs> they did some fucking foolish shit on one of their B-shows, and now they just want to have this tag team match. And Wardlow and Samoa Joe, both guys that should have the attention on themselves as the kick-ass, the badass. Especially, even though I like Samoa Joe, Wardlow comes first right now because he at least was over with the people and they did have him hot. But now they're partners and they're, they beat these job guys up. But again, the baby faces go to the ring, jump start on the heels, a four-way, two on the floor, two in the ring, sloppy work, the heels aren't over, the face team makes no sense. It was a four-way through the whole fucking match, even though nobody said it was no DQ or a tornado match, just a four-way. And then Joe beat Tony Nese, and then Sterling came in, and Wardlow powerbombed him a few times. And then they it's like none of these guys were ever taught how to fucking wrestle. They just send them out to do their goddamn moves and finish the match when you're done with it. I, I, Samoa Joe's better than this. Wardlow should be. Um, Why could this not have been a tag team match where they just fucking beat the job guys but didn't do a goddamn chaos four-way through the whole thing like that call was called for in any way, shape, or form? I couldn't tell you too much. This was my bathroom break match. And I think uh -huh. that says a lot. The fact that Wardlow is now in the bathroom break match. What I usually say for the women's match on the show for the first bathroom break or kitchen break, it was the Wardlow match. That's how much they've cooled him off. He's just now appearing in random tag matches and six man matches with FTR. He has no one he's programmed with. Every now and then he'll kill a few people and then he'll be back in a tag match or a six man match. It seems like at least. FTR, were FTR in Arthur Ashe Stadium? There was a oh, promo. Yes, they, they, yeah, a they, promo. They, were, they were told off by the gun boys and had no response but to agree with the criticism that they were confronted with. So the last time on the show we talked about what's going on with FTR, we talked about them being cooled off and momentum being cooled off, how they get the biggest pop and then they're off TV, or they'll get the biggest pop and then all of a sudden a few weeks later Dax will have a singles match, which he never wins. And here's another example. Since that time, they weren't even on the fucking stadium show in New York. Where were they? Why weren't they there? Well, they weren't there so that by the time that the Cucamonga kids get unsuspended from the principal and can get out of study hall and go back to regular class, the fans will have forgotten that they thought that FTR was a much better tag team than the Hardly Boys. That's the, the goal there. But we, you know, we'll see what happens. I wonder if the Bucks are going to come out of this talking to people differently, talking about people differently, behaving differently, being less douchey to people who aren't in their little clique. It'll be interesting to see how they react to this, if this is any kind of eye-opening event. <laughs> or eye-shutting. Oh, it was an eye-shutting event, but will yeah, it be yeah. an eye-opening event in the long run? Well, maybe by the time they get unsuspended, Nick Jackson's eye will be opened up again. But no, I don't think they're going to learn a goddamn thing. I still think they think that they're the hot shots in the wrestling business and all the big stars are the ones that need to modify their behavior. So we'll see. The next match, Jungle Boy versus Felix. And I said, oh, hell no. 20 fucking minutes later, 
That thing was over. And, of course, Christian Cage comes out with his arm in a sling, and Jungle Boy's looking at him, and guess what happens? Dino Douche comes from the other side from behind the ring. Again! Remember we just talked about on the last program we did, that the only finish that exists now in the WWE is music plays, somebody comes down, and distract somebody, and they turn into the opponent's finish, one, two, three. They did that basically three times on the same program last week. This show is somebody comes down, and the person stands and looks at them, and somebody else attacks from behind in every fucking match. And Dino Douche gets on Jungle Boy and hits some kind of lazy move, And then Christian gets in and cuts a promo and knocks the fans and cuts a promo on the prone, feckless babyface who is laying there grimacing while Dino Douche has one foot lazily standing on his head so he can't escape. And then after the promo is finished, Dino takes his foot off the guy's head and gives him a a choke slam. Could you... Come up with a could could Eddie Graham or Leo Garibaldi or Bill Watts, the greatest bookers in the history of wrestling, come up with a way to make a babyface look more like a piece of shit than to have somebody just stand on his fucking head while somebody else trash talks him and the guy can't do anything about it. I could I wrote at this point, I can't take much more of this program. Did I miss anything here? No. Good. Who gives a shit about Jungle Boy anymore? How could you? Uh, maybe Baltimore just for the royalty checks, but... And then... <laughs> Eddie Kingston versus Sammy Guevara with Ty Meloconti. And this was the match that they were supposed to have a few weeks ago before... Eddie got suspended for trying to pie face Sammy when Sammy called him a fat piece of shit. So I wrote, as Kingston was headed to the ring, I wrote down, if they jumpstart this, I'm skipping it. And in here comes Sammy, and he gets the microphone, and he tells Kingston that he's sorry that Eddie is a big fat piece of shit. (laughs) And then Eddie goes for Sammy's eyes, and they go to the floor and stay there. And I said, fuck it. See ya. They went to the first break without using the ring. And when they came back, I didn't, except to the finish. Eddie got the choke, and he won. And then he wouldn't let the choke go. And then Jerry Lynn comes in to try to plead with him. And then seven security guys come in making obviously fake and phony gestures and mannerisms like, oh my God, don't do that. And all eight grown adult men stand there and fake plead with Kingston to let go instead of grabbing him or pulling him off or attempting to break the hole. And again, sometimes they have security and sometimes they don't. It never looks real because they get job guys that overact because they've been too used to watching modern wrestling and think that's the way that people conduct themselves. 
And again, I keep saying when they do the angle where they're they're killing somebody for three or four or five minutes, nobody's trying to stop this. So then the guy holds a fucking submission hold after a match for 10 extra seconds and suddenly there are seven security people in the ring and nobody will put their hands on the fucking guy. There's no logic or continuity or consistency or any kind of sense to any of this. It's almost like the individual wrestlers in charge of their matches make up their own shit and their own rules. But we know that would be insane. So then the referee reverses the decision and makes Sammy the winner which then lets Kingston let go of the deal, and he then effortlessly beats up all seven security guys who take one bump each and roll away and never come back. All these things are actually what would happen if it was real security and a real situation going on, of course. What? I, <clears throat> my God, they couldn't have had... Jerry Lynn come out and try to speak to him and the announcers could have just Jerry Lynn, one of the producers, he's friends with Eddie Kingston. And then two or three security guys come and try to prime off and Eddie drops the fucking hole to turn around and backfist one security guy and hit the other one. Boom. And a big move on the other one. And then Jerry Lynn gets in front of him and then more security comes and he can't fucking fight any more of them. And Jerry's trying to call me or anything. But instead, it's just like they've they've seen some type of cartoon wrestling show before where all these things happen and they just, oh, now it's time to beat up the eight security guards. Okay. They think this is good? They think this is the way you do this shit? I'm insulted as a professional. Your thoughts before I go any further on what else insulted me? Oh, I'm glad to hear there's more that insulted you on this show. You know, I like Eddie Kingston, but Eddie Kingston's like the classic Northeast babyface star. Does a great promo. You want to root for him. May not like the matches so much. There's a lot of that. Sammy, if Sammy was used better, especially with Ty Conti or Ty Mello, he could be like one of the best heels, but he's used so poorly. But as soon as he gets on the mic, you want to hit him. Slappable face. But again, you have to be used right. And uh, those are my only thoughts on that match. Yeah. Well, the next match was the long-awaited grudge match between Diamante, who used to be somehow affiliated with Santana and Ortiz, right? No. Didn't she? Or wasn't she in some type of... She was in a tag team with Ivelisse, I believe. I thought Diamante used to be with the a Puerto Rican men's group. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else. Maybe I'm just wrong. And speaking of where, where's Santana and Ortiz? Well, Santana was injured in that War Games match or the uh, Blood and Guts match. My God, that's been months ago. Ortiz, I don't think it was even that long ago, actually. Ortiz is still wrestling on these shows. I, I believe he was actually on the taping. I don't know if he was on, I guess he wasn't on Rampage. He was on the Grand Slam show. I heard he got a good pop because he's a hometown guy. But the other story is that apparently there's real life issues between the two of them, so they may not team together again. 
Nobody likes anybody around there. Anyway, Diamante versus Jane Cargill, and Jane had her baddies, and Diamante had Trina. Remember, we, she came out with Trina on the show Wednesday and said, well, I got my bad bitch with me. You know, it used to be when you called women bitches, they got kind of upset. They didn't like it, but all these women refer to themselves as bitches. So is it okay now to call them bitches because they do it to themselves? Nope, that's not how it works. They're allowed to call themselves bitches, but you're not allowed to call them bitches. Why not? Because that's not the way the rules work. Who made the rules? The people who you are addressing are the ones who make the rules about how you're going to address them without offending them. So Trina was in the corner of Diamante, but she didn't rap. Now, she is a rapper, right? She is. I don't know what she currently does. I mean, she was kind of, I mean, she wasn't ever a really big rapper, but her scene or her day was kind of a little while ago. But I Does don't know Trina she, have a last name? Oh, she does in reality. I don't know what it is, but she was known in the world of hip hop as just Trina. As just Trina. Well. At least this rapper didn't rap on the way to the ring. She just wandered out with the same expression. It looked like that she was possibly doing this for a payoff because a member of her family's been kidnapped and she was suddenly in need for money. She didn't enjoy anything. She looked like she was completely confused by the whole situation, as we all were. <laughs> and... <laughs> And then even this match, even in fast forward, this was awkward as fuck. And, and basically the finish was Diamante dives off the top, cross-bodying Jane Cargill on the floor. Jane's supposed to catch her, but Jane almost went backwards over the rail into the front row. <laughs> the rail saved her and caught her and then boom and rolled her in the ring and hit her finish one, two, three. And then you've got the baddies. And But you've also, Trina gets in the ring to try to back Diamante up against Jane and the baddies. And then Trina <laughs> snatches Diamante up by the hair and slaps her in the face with a fake slap. And of course, Jim Ross, who actually has been cited now, he was on this program, Jim Ross goes, oh, Trina. Because he was about ready to fucking get out of there, as we all were. And Trina shook hands with Jane with a look on her face that looked like she'd rather be at the dentist having a root canal procedure. And that was that. So apparently Diamante's a bad friend or bad judge of character. And Trina, <laughs> she started out a baby face, but now she's a heel. My God, how will her career survive? And who really was the baddest bitch out of all of this? Because that's what they were fighting about, and I don't know that we ever determined. I don't think we determined anything. You're right about the lack of enthusiasm from Trina from the moment she walked out. <laughs> it's like she was sleepwalking to the ring. I don't know what the point of this is, because again, she, I believe, would be from the New York Tri-State area. I can't imagine they're taking Trina on the road to any more dynamites or anything, so this was just a one-time turn for no reason on Diamante, who we haven't seen on TV since she was teaming with Ivelisse, who they let go of a couple of years ago. This is the AEW women's division, folks. All elite women 
Who is the baddest bitch? I think it's Jade. Jade's kind of running stuff there. She's kind of head of the bloodline. She's head of the table. And I still, I'm still convinced that now you're allowed to call ladies that word because they're all fighting over to see who's the biggest one and the baddest one. Well, they certainly like to call themselves it. That's for sure. All right, well, next was the Golden Ticket Battle Royal, and I'm not making this up. What in the world? Why is it that the the most the most markiest of marks, the most amateur of bookers, the kids in their basement that sit down and write their own cards over and over again, and I was one of those when I was 14, they love Battle Royals. Nobody else does, but they do. This company has been battle royal to fucking death. And here again, another one of these inexplicable... It's a reason to get every outlaw goof in the company on camera. And again, the they start the, the battle royal with the entrance of Hangnail Page, and then suddenly a half a dozen heels jump him from behind before he gets to the ring... And then here comes the dork order in to help. And Big Show suddenly has returned from the grave or the Federal Witness Protection Program or wherever he's been, and he's back on color. And they go to the break with a jump start of a battle royal. And when they come back from break, the full thing is going on. And once again, every indie-rific outlaw goof in the company is in this thing. And again, we go through almost 20 minutes of this horseshit before guess who wins? Hangnail Page. Tony rewards the empty-headed little bitch that started the chain of events that might be what puts his company out of business with winning the golden ticket. So they get a title shot at some goddamn title somewhere sometime. Like it's not... Is it hard now to get a shot at a title in AEW? Because if you have a match, chances are it's going to be a championship match because they got 18 titles. If you're in AEW and you don't have a match for a title, something's wrong. Because they, yeah. have, they have so many championship matches, they just take in <laughs> other companies' champions. Hey, come bring your champions onto our show. We'll take anyone, no matter what size, no matter who they are. I hate these battle royals. AEW makes you sick of battle royals and tournaments and golden casino ladder fucking this and that. It just It's so overdone. Nice to see the big show or Paul White. Maybe he'll be the big show again soon. Who knows? But again, yeah. Adam Page. Why is Adam Page being rewarded? For all, the I, for, all the for all the drama that he deliberately went out there and caused. If Page was smart and now examine the words I've just said, but if page had been smart after he pulled that stunt on live TV and that promo with punk and didn't get fired, he should have determined right then I've, I've used my get out of jail free card. I better keep my nose clean from this point on out because do you think the WWE is interested in him? What kind of, there's no personality there. He's illustrated he'll go into business for himself on live television at the behest of his little buddies rather than being serious about business. 
that Tony didn't fire him. He's got to fucking, he's got to realize he, this job is the best one he's probably ever going to have. And if, if not the best of the highest paying, and he probably ought to get his shit together, but I can't believe Tony still rewards him after all these headaches in the last few weeks that all directly went back to fucking Adam Page taking up for Colt fucking Cabana. Maybe Adam Page is Tony Shawn Michaels. Good Lord, that would be the first time Adam Page has ever been compared to Shawn Michaels. Unprofessional, new age version of uh, unprofessionalism. I thought you were talking about talent. Well, no, because even then, Adam Page would be an unprofessional. Adam Page is an amateur compared to Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels knew how to be unprofessional. Shawn Michaels could goddamn unprofessional with the best of them. This guy's just an idiot who said a bunch of unintelligible shit to a guy who didn't know it was coming and was confused about whether he ought to beat the fuck out of the guy or just talk around him. Anyway, the main event was next on this program, and the only reason that I stuck around to watch it because of who it was in it, and then we get to it, unsanctioned lights-out match, no disqualification, no rules, as opposed to what other match on this program that had rules. Why are they now, why don't they just say, hey, here's a special stipulation. In this match, you can get disqualified if you cheat. We have a special match, a rules match here tonight. The referee knows how to count in this match. And nobody ever gets disqualified in this fucking Fakakta company to begin with. So anyway, Powerhouse Hobbs and Ricky Starks. And I'm thinking, okay, let's see. And then but they give the big entrance video for Starks and the big lighting effect, and I'm thinking, okay, but however, they've doomed these guys with the spot they put them in and the show they presented in front of them. A lights-out match that the announcer said was so dangerous between these two and their ill feelings that it can't be sanctioned by the company because somebody could get hurt. And then here's two guys fighting barehanded we can't sanction that. But that opening match with fucking four guys and a girl and tables and fighting all over the fucking building, well, that's fine. And or what about the battle royal with 20 people fucking doing whatever the fuck they wanted or the other two or three no disqualification matches that I've forgotten about? So now they've had every match has had chaos and multiple tables and furniture and violence, and handcuffs, and whatever. And this lights-out match is two guys. But within two minutes, <laughs> Hobbs is pulling out a table and bringing it in and hitting the Starks with it. And then a chair. And then a second chair. And while Starks is in the ring selling, Hobbs is on the floor looking under the ring and tossing junk in and there's nothing actually happening, and then they go to the break. And when they came back from the break, I'd been distracted. I believe by Harley at that point, she needed to piss, and I forgot to pause the DVR. And when I came back, it was very close to the end of this thing, and at that point, I wasn't even interested enough to back it up and see what I missed. Because what the fuck could I have missed? I've seen... 
people threw furniture, people handcuffed, people, you know, tried to fucking bleed to death, near fucking fatalities. What are these two going to do? Maybe sometime they'll let Starks and Hobbs have a match, either a normal match or a stipulation match where the stipulation means makes sense and everything that they could possibly do hasn't already been done beforehand in the program by five other people and three girls. And I like both these guys, but you can't watch them in a real match so you can judge their work or determine their progress without the furniture and the chairs and the bullshit. And anybody can do that. So after fighting on the stage, and then getting back in the ring, and by the way, uh, that, I think that was the third match of the night that had fighting on the stage. Starks put him through a table and then hit him over the head with what I presume was a fake two-by-four. Because if he didn't, then it would have killed him and his brains would have been splattered into jelly. And then he hit his wrestling finish on him, on Hobbs, did Starks. After he hit him over the head with a, ba a baseball bat swing with a two before, then he hit his wrestling finish. And I assume one, two, three, but my DVR froze because they can't manage their time and they always do their pinfalls in the last 15 seconds of the show. So there was Hobbs and Starks. We couldn't even enjoy that. You know what actually took me out of that match even more than the stipulations and the nature of the match was actually the fact that the previous match was Hobbs just destroying Starks in whatever, seven minutes. What about that made me want to see them wrestle again? Yeah, I, we still have not gotten an explanation for why that match was so blah or so short or the finish just came out of nowhere. Unless they got killed for time, unless someone else ran really long and then, because that was towards the end of the show, I think, on the pay-per-view. Maybe they got killed there, but it Good didn't Lord, make it Good it, Lord, it's... It, <laughs> Jesus Christ, it's not like anybody else tries to hit their time. Those shows last five fucking hours. I can't believe that that would, one of the, you know, first times in history that people in AEW decided, well, maybe we're going too long and it was too short. I, I call bullshit on that. Well, maybe we'll never find out. What do you think of the state of AEW right now? I mean, beyond... You know, you've always had guys you don't like and everything else, but you've been able to look at the business and see what it is and see the people that fans may like that you don't. And we've been watching it for a while. So here we are now, three years into this thing, or over three years into this thing. What do you think of the state of AEW right now going into 2023? Well, we pretty much have called all along that there was going to be problems eventually with the EVPs. And especially when it was time to move them aside because people had replaced them in the fans' hearts and minds and or more fans, other fans have come along that don't care about their foolishness. Real fans of real mainstream stars. That's already happening. We knew that inexperience in, in the booking was going to be a big problem and it's become obvious and blatant and much worse. Because at the start of the AEW, they didn't have any, you didn't see the evidence of guys getting over on their program and then having their legs cut off out from under them because it wasn't part of the plan, Smithers. But now we have. Wardlow gets over. They don't know what to do with him. Keep him over. FTR gets over, even though they tried not to let him get over, so they bury him because of the Bucks. 
um, Punk drew them their million dollar gate, their million dollar fucking, or their million viewers and whatever, the million, the million man. But the EVPs couldn't stand that because his presence was an exact, you know, rebuttal of everything that they think that wrestling is supposed to be in their screwed up fucking minds. The comedy clown show that they presented it as through their whole careers. That's what they were trying to do, but it didn't work. Not enough people want to see the comedy, silly clown fucking cheerleader wrestling with the girly men that look so fucking physically unintimidating. So, again, we saw this coming. I didn't know it was going to take this long. But you can't... They've done everything they can do to the human body. What angle are they going to do to hurt somebody or make somebody mad they want to come back and get even? It's just a car wreck. Every show. People being thrown through furniture and in the process really getting injured. And then it becomes... You know, people are watching this to see who gets hurt and how. And uh, so there's no leadership. The locker room is split apart into factions. There have already been actual fights. Uh, the, the yippiness and the smarminess of the fucking Bucks and, and Olivier I don't think is going to be mitigated at all because they, they don't learn. They think they're right. They think they're stars. So they're going to be douchebags because douchebags are what douchebags are. So they're not going to be any help. Tony refuses to get help with booking. Most of their talent is, is injured or currently injured or suspended. I you know, <sighs> And it's not like everybody couldn't see this coming because we've been talking about it. And it's not like we're the only ones. We just talk about it out loud more because everybody else wants a fucking job. So uh, I don't know how any of this is a surprise. And I don't know how anybody can spin it as being anything positive. Do you think AEW has lost a lot of the goodwill they had with AEW fans since the beginning? Well, which ones? The fans of, of Twinkle Toes and the Hardly Boys, I'm sure, are somewhat upset that they can't see their artistry on TV on a regular basis. The fans that Punk brought back, they're pissed off. Even if he wasn't hurt, he'd still be suspended. So they're pissed, and now there's no Punk to get the... They did the $1.2 for the couple of weeks after to see what was going to go on. Now they're seeing what's going to go on and the numbers are starting to go back down again. So the punk fans ain't happy. The fans of, of the elite aren't happy. And just anybody just wants to sit down and watch this program and enjoy it. You can't understand what's going on. You don't know what the fuck from one week to the other, who you're going to see because people disappear, whether they get hurt or not, they just are unbooked. You can't follow anything. And it's the same thing. It's just chaos and a parody of wrestling now from the start of the show to the finish. Because everybody's doing the same shit, which is as much as they can possibly get away with in their matches, 
to try to get over when now that's actually the the least way you can get over now in AEW is to do something physical in the ring. Because everybody else is doing all this crazy shit and it just blends together. That's why MJF is the only standout. And he wrestles he actually, the least? Yeah, and he wrestles the least. <laughs> and they fucking... And they they would let him spit in their mouth if if he wanted to. Well, maybe because maybe not him. everyone. Maybe not everyone. Well, I'm just <laughs> it's him. It's him and that he talks and that he fucking produces and that you can listen to him. And that somehow, since he got away from Jericho, he's avoided the bad booking that has gotten worse since then, that everybody else has fallen victim to. So I don't know. I, I don't know what you do. I can't say what I would do if I was in that position because I never allowed myself to get in that position with this big of a fucking mess and this rotten of a fucking roster that half of them hate the other half and he doesn't need half of them to begin with. But the half of them he thinks he needs are the half of them he ought to get rid of. But when you look at Tony and the control he has over virtually everything with AEW. Can you relate in a sense? I mean, if you look at Smoky Mountain Wrestling three years in, it was pretty impossible for you mentally at that point to give up anything to anyone because you knew you wouldn't fuck shit up, even if you wouldn't get any sleep and you'd eat like shit. Yeah. And you'd yell at people and beat up cars and all sorts of shit. Yeah. You knew you'd get your stuff done. It was hard for you to just hand off responsibility. You'd also been burned. Can you understand why Tony and... I'm not justifying it, but why Tony may not want to hand off more, let's say, with the booking? No. Why, why it may be tough for him mentally to do that? No, I can't. Because he doesn't know what he's doing. And people have obviously but he thinks have he been does. telling him that. No one's been telling him that. I have. You tell him <laughs> that. Everyone else tells him he's great. You're going to win Booker but of the here's Year. The thing. If, I had, if I had suddenly, in the middle of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, bought a car lot and decided to start selling cars and I ran a shitty car lot and I couldn't sell any cars. You know what? I would have said, you know why? It's because I don't know how to sell cars and I've never owned a car lot and I'm the shits at it. So I'll hire me some car salesmen to sell my cars. If I started doing anything that I'd never done before and I was obviously the shits at it by just observably looking at what was going on, I would have somebody else do that. So I've no, the only thing that I've ever been good at really in my life is wrestling. So that's why I did all that shit. But in any other fucking endeavor whatsoever from trying to put a fucking electric fan together that I bought off Amazon that took me an hour and a half about three weeks ago and I never got it accomplished. And I ended up just giving it to the Monroe's cause I didn't want to look at it anymore. There's a lot of shit that I have no fucking idea how to do and can't do and recognize that. And that's why I don't try to do it. Wrestling's not been one of those, but a lot of other things have. But Tony, you, it, with the Jaguars, the football, the soccer, whatever it is you're good at, wrestling, booking, ain't it. And that's why I cannot identify with somebody who insists on doing something They've never done before, and they're not any good at, and it's observable that their their fucking work sucks, 
and makes no sense, and they still want to do it anyway. And a lot of people are going to say, oh, but look, they've drawn this money. and that No, none of the booking has drawn any of this money with AEW. The, the, what's drawn the money with AEW, every single gate, every single pay-per-view, everything they've done is that they had the backing, the money, and the contacts to get on television and to sign the names that they signed, and to fucking rent the buildings they've rented. And that comes down to Tony Khan being, if you want to give it to him, a great promoter for making all those things happen, and also for having a billion dollars. I'm not sure how much of his talent you can attribute that to, or maybe just lucky genetics. But he got the TV, he's rented the buildings, he signed the stars. And the people were so ready to see somebody fuck with Vince McMahon that they have supported this. I'm not denying any of those things. But the wrestling booking in AEW from the start has been absolutely abysmal, totally rotten, and contributed nothing to the business that they've done. They didn't do... they didn't sell one ticket in the last three years that they wouldn't have sold already, regardless of what the fucking booking was, except that if it had been good from the start, I believe they might have be, even be doing better right now. Because if the booking had been good from the start, people wouldn't be mad about how they've been used. People wouldn't be mad about being left off television. If the booking had been good at the start, the EVPs that have caused all this trouble wouldn't actually be EVPs because Tony, if he was a good booker, would have also known not to give active wrestlers that kind of power. So they actually might be doing better right now because the only thing that they haven't had, they've had the TV, they've had the buildings, they've had the pay-per-view, they've had the contacts, and they've got a talent roster with names, just... Some big names and some weird names and some, why the fuck would you hire this guy? But they've got a roster. The only thing they haven't had and never have had is any kind of logical, coherent booking to get new stars over and further things from one place to another. That's been haphazard, stupid, illogical, nonsensical, and chaotic at best. That's my summation of AEW. All right. Well, if you had the... Take a guess on how many run-ins there would be on the next Dynamite. What would you guess? Well, I'll tell you what. If I had to come up with a transition for you that would transition you from what we were talking about to one of our fine sponsors, I would say that I would guess that they're going to do it in every single match. And if prize picks would take betting on AEW wrestling, I could clean up because I'd be right. However, they will not do that because it'd be too easy. But folks, our friends at Prize Picks will let you make entries on all the player projections in their daily fantasy business, and you can win some money out of it. That's because Prize Picks offers projections on any sport that you watch, NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football men's college basketball, women's college basketball. Do they have women's college football? That would be interesting. What about women's grade school football? 
Also, soccer, no. WNBA, esports, NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, Euro basketball, cricket, and disc golf, as well as yo-yoing, which can sometimes be competitive. Folks at Prize Picks, you can make entries within 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. You just go up to the window in the back, you flip the fucking lock. You cut a hole in the screen. No, no, no. You're no, in the no, house. No, no, Entries no, no, can be no. made in 60 seconds. Entries are made digitally, online, very easily and safe, and you are safe in your home. Yes, safe and fast withdrawals as well. You can withdraw. As a matter of fact, if you withdraw quickly enough, she won't get pregnant. And they're currently operational, folks, prize picks, that is, in over 30 states and Canada, which means that almost 20 states have still not found out what the what the scoop is and how to get in on this. But I'm telling you what, you know, let's say, for example, your favorite baseball player, let's say Lou Gehrig. Let's say you think that he's going to hit seven home runs in a game that night against the Toledo Mud Hens. See, this is basketball, Brian, because I know you're baseball, because I know you like the baseball. So if Lou Gehrig, you think, is going to hit seven home runs against the Toledo Mud Hens, then you just make an entry saying that you think that's what's going to happen. And it's, as we mentioned, safe and fast. And if he does hit seven home runs against the Toledo Mud Hens, then they send you money. Is that how that works? Uh, I'm not exactly sure what you just said. Well, in that case, folks, that's how it works. And right now, you can download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play the daily fantasy sports. And it's always good to have a fantasy every day, especially if it revolves around crotchless stuff. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100 if you use the promo code JCE. That's how you know that you're in, in uh, fine form there. If you use the promo code JCE, they will give you whatever kind of money that you put in. They'll match it. See? So just go crazy. Put all your money in there. Think about this. If you have $100,000 and you put $100,000 in and they match that, well, if you won, well, that would just be swell. But they won't do that because they only match up to $100 because they're not stupid at prize picks. But don't forget to enter the promo code JCE at sign up for an instant deposit match up to the aforementioned $100. And then if you if you're right and you beat these projections, then you will win up to 10 times your money. Is that correct, Brian Last? Potentially. Potentially. It's all subject to debate, happenstance and chance. Randomness plays a part in this, but you could come out with some money. That's right. You could come out with money. Of course, it all depends on how you do against the numbers with prize picks. And the projections. And the projections. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, you could come out broker and a broke dick dog, too, but things happen. (laughs) Things happen. Things right. happen with prospects. And you can never you can never be fully sure. So embrace everyone and tell them you love them and go to prize picks right now. You may not have a chance to do it tomorrow. And what's yeah. that website again? 
prizepicks.com or download the app. What would you think if you got hit by a truck and killed tomorrow and you had not had the chance to go to prize picks? You would be miserable for the rest of your death. Well, I don't want to comment on that, but uh, prize picks. Jim, it makes you wonder if Tony Khan's ever gone on prize picks and tried to figure out which of his wrestlers will be disgruntled or upset or deny being disgruntled or upset. And on that topic, have you been following what's been going on with, I guess, Malachi Black, Buddy Matthews, and the overall House of Black? I've been trying to, I don't think Sherlock Holmes could follow this. To be honest, there's conflicting reports from everybody. I won't go into the whole thing. We talked about Malachi Black on the programs the last couple of weeks. Uh, He said that he wanted to take a break from wrestling. He'd had problems, his personal life, whatever. Okay, that's fine. But then the story got out that he wanted to go back to the WWE because of Triple H. And conflicting reports have come out from his own mouth as to how long his contract is and or whether he asked for his release. And now, Buddy is in the same boat. Buddy told people on an independent show, just like Malachi, well, I need to step back and recalibrate a little bit. Get away from this. Okay. But then stories are uh, circulating that he asked for his release and that Tony's not granting any releases and this whole merry mess. What have you got on this, Brian? You tell me what's going on. To talk about this briefly, like you just said, I'll play you some audio. I'll play you how it was covered on the wrestling news because that's a way of covering it without any opinion or anything, just a straight version of what's happening. But when he said, or when you said that the five-year contract thing is in contention, that was Tony Khan who said that. It wasn't even him. Tony Khan said that in an interview somewhere. Yeah, it, it, Malachi Black is is denying that he has a five-year contract, whereas Tony Khan just said a couple of months ago, well, he's got almost five years left on his contract. So <laughs> which one? And then in terms of wanting a release or not, whether, you know, what's true and what isn't, he's the one who just put out the statement saying, I did indeed request my release. Well, no, he just put out the statement saying he didn't ask for his release. The statement he put out where he started, I did indeed ask for my release, was a few weeks ago. Well, on that topic, let's go to the <laughs> wrestling news. Of course, at thewrestlingnews.com or wherever you find your favorite podcast, check out the wrestling news. Here is a sample of it. Mike Sempervivi, the anchor, covering the Malachi Black story from this morning as we are recording. Speaking of Malachi Black, He got on his Instagram Live late Monday night to launch a tirade directed at, quote, the dirt sheets about his current status in professional wrestling and said he's gotten death threats as a result of rumors that have swirled online. The following does contain strong language. Like people like people, those people, they don't care about my mental health. They don't care about your mental health. They don't care about your feelings. They don't care about my wife. They don't care. Not one single thing of it is true. So. Again, if you were part of this mob that like felt the need to even send me death threats, then well, th- thank you, dirt sheets, because clearly, like people, like people, those people, they don't care about my mental health. They don't care about your mental health. They don't care about your feelings. They don't care about my wife. They don't care about my family. They don't give a shit. All they want is like dumb clicks for stuff that they're making up, because they're tying bridges between things that are no longer there. That don't exist because they want that narrative to exist. But again, I'm sure that it will be deemed as t- tomorrow there will be a different narrative, and tomorrow there will be um, it'll be it'll be oh we got the wrong information, oh we heard it from this, or don't blame us, we're just reporting. No, no, you're not. like 
a real person will own up to their bullshit. They will own up to their words and they say, you know what, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. It's on me. Because if the words come out of your mouth, then like, you know, own it. Just, just own it. Anyway, <laughs> I would like to very much go back to just working on my stuff, working on my private life, working on, you know, getting to the point of, um, yeah, feeling good again. On September 17th, Black wrestled for Prestige Wrestling and after the match addressed the crowd saying he was going to take some time off and adding, I promise you this is not goodbye, this is just we'll see each other soon. The next day, Black posted on his Instagram that he did in fact ask for his release from <laughs> AEW and revealed several reasons as to why, including several out-of-ring events, a nagging injury, and quote, promises in my professional field that were not upheld. In that same post, Black expressed his frustrations that private conversations between him and AEW were made public and unhappiness over rumors online about his personal life or receiving a conditional release. Well, there it is, Jim, as it was well, reported. Well, everything up, didn't on it? the Wrestling News, the audio of Malachi Black last night, as we are recording in the middle of the night, uh, apparently, issuing a statement in some ways seemingly contradicting previous things he said. Again, that was only a portion of the audio. What are your thoughts on all this? I, <laughs> are you caught up to date? I, well, apparently, but not with Buddy. We've still got to talk about Buddy. But with, with Malachi, the House of Black now has more vacancies than the Bates Motel. Have you noticed that? They're bailing out of that thing. Did he say he got death threats? He For did. For what? For what would somebody threaten him with death for saying, I, if, either I want to take time off and straighten out my personal life, or even if he asked for his release? What the fuck is there a death threat for that? The only death threat I can think of might be called for if he came out and made a statement, hey, you're going to have to see all of us in the House of Black on every TV show ever done from now on. Then somebody might have to take matters in their own hands. But, and, and and also, does do the kids these days in the wrestling business, Brian, think that these death threats are actually serious or legitimate or to be taken seriously? That's the other thing. It used to be you got death threats because you had heat. If this is true and you got death threats, it's death threats because you're threatening to go to another company. Maybe. Or the rumor is. Maybe. I mean, what, what is this? <laughs> what are the, and he blamed the dirt sheets. I mean, he said, thank you, dirt sheets, right after he mentioned the death threat. And also, here's another thing. Kids in the business these days saying dirt sheets. The dirt sheets are older than they are. And again, you know, some sheets are dirt sheets and some sheets are not sheets. They're reputable news outlets, such as the Wrestling News or PWInsider.com or things of that nature. But nevertheless, I don't know what this fucking guy is doing. And apparently he doesn't either. And who knows whether anybody in AEW does. But if... If all of this stuff has been misreported and misdiagnosed and we got the story all wrong, then what is his tag team partner doing doing the same exact thing? It's I, He goes and makes an independent show, Buddy, and says the same thing. I need to recalibrate. I need to step away for a little while. You'll see me again soon, but for, you know, for now. And he's doing the exact same thing. So what's going on here? 
it's awful. I can understand one person having this particular issue come up and want to take some time off, but two people in the same tag team, in the same company, at the same time? Sounds a little odd, doesn't it? That's all I'm saying. I don't know what's going on, but sounds a little odd. It is a bit odd. And again, you're saying that you have a problem with the rumors and the people telling the story, and then you tell bits and pieces of the story, sometimes in code or riddle or just not in proper English. And then when people... Well, go ahead. Maybe he can't maybe he can't make a declarative statement because if he made a declarative statement sticking to the story he's telling right now that at some point it would come out that he's not telling a straight story. That's the only reason I can think of for we don't want to know what your personal issue is. But instead of beating around the fucking snatch for goddamn whoever knows how long Come out and say, here's the length of my contract, and I'm going to honor it. I'm only taking a few weeks or whatever time off from wrestling. All the rest of this is nonsense, and it will be proven that I'm speaking the truth when I return to AEW in the next short little while. And that didn't take me nearly as long as what his statement was, and it kind of gets everything covered if that is indeed the case. You know, social media may not be for everyone, especially if you're in, no, I'm, I'm not even being funny, but you know, I was going to say maybe show business isn't for everyone, but social media isn't for everyone. I mean, if he's getting death threats and all this thing and he's hearing all this negative feedback, turn off your computer and get away from all that shit. And I'm not saying this to criticize him. I'm giving us just in general. I think there's too many people who live around the feedback. Just turn the shit off and get the fuck away from it all. I don't think they know how to exist without it. Because I got news for everybody. The day that I fully retire, quit doing this program, you ain't going to see me on Twitter. You ain't going to see me on, well, you don't see me on Facebook now. You're not going to see me anywhere because I'm going to be home minding my own business, puttering in the yard. I don't give a fuck what anybody else in the world thinks or thinks about me. I do not need to check in to see what's going on. As long as there is not a spaceship or dark clouds with menacing fucking lightning right over the top of my fucking house. I don't care. And nothing that anybody says affects the way that I think about things. I decide for myself. So I can more or less completely do without the internet and or any related activity except for business in my life. But they can't. Nobody can these days. And again, we're hearing from him a lot now about his mental health. He's saying, I don't want people talking about it, but he's talking, like he's propelling it, and I'm not sure if you realize that. I but don't want people talking about what I brought up. Jim, if you were Triple H, and I'm going to use Wrestler X, because it could be anyone, but if Wrestler X is behaving in a similar manner publicly, either because they're really going through stuff, or let's be honest, there are people that think he wants to get out of his contract, and other people... There are people that think that the people who ask to be released really do want to be released. Amazing. Amazing that you would think that somebody said, when somebody says, hey, I don't want to work here anymore, that you would come to the conclusion that they don't want to work there anymore. It's amazing. But if Wrestler X is having a, a public display like this, and you can tell it's a mess for the company he's working for, 
whether it's a Brian Pillman or a Malachi Black or any other example, when you're, if you're a Triple H, do you think twice before you bring that person in? Well, I mean, don't group Pillman in that because Pillman actually was... It was a work. ...doing things on purpose yeah. to make him more notorious. And, and sometimes he just didn't tell the people he was working with because they couldn't carry it off. Um, I would tell anybody that's... Any of the wrestlers that would be working in this fictitious company that I was in charge of, if, or if I was Triple H or whatever exercise in fantasy that we're doing... It, it wouldn't just be if they were airing their personal problems or dirty laundry or whatever. I would say if you get on social media, then you are who you are on our television and you speak that way and you act that way and you look that way every single time you're on social media or don't be on it. Or if you want to be on it, then you won't be working here. Pick. Because I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sick and tired of phony fucking wrestlers that have one gimmick on television and then they're on social media crying about, if they're a heel, they're crying about their personal problems like somebody's supposed to give them sympathy. Or if they're a baby face, they're whatever the fuck, or they're goddamn with their arms around their mortal enemy on television. All that's bullshit. You don't need to tell... The entire world, every goddamn time you have a ham sandwich for lunch or everything you do in your life or fucking make note of, take a picture of every goddamn place you go or thing you see or meal you have or whatever the fuck. Nobody else cares. I don't care what any of you people eat or drink. I don't care where you go for vacation. Why would you care about me? It's fucking ridiculous. So don't air your dirty laundry, don't talk about your personal problems, and don't fucking gripe about your goddamn boss on social media until you tell the boss to take the job and shove it, and then you can fucking knock him all you want to. But it's just, it's goddamn, it's not just wrestlers, it's everybody. They've all gone crazy. Everybody thinks that somebody gives a fuck about all your goddamn problems or your fucking joys or your triumphs or tragedies or whatever the fuck. And no, that's not true. Most people don't give a shit because they got their own triumphs, tragedies, problems, and et cetera. So just, God, if you're going to be a wrestler and you're going to get on social media, talk like the person you are on TV, or just stay home and look at your goddamn family album. Don't fucking tell everybody in the world everything they need to know about you. I've never understood it, but that's just me. Jim, on the topic of social media and AEW news, last night Tony Khan tweeted out, For everyone in AEW, in case you missed our email, anyone worried about Hurricane Ian affecting your travel or home or your family life, it's voluntary to come to TV this week. Anyone affected by the hurricane can take care of business at home, and we hope to see you all next week. What are they going to do at home? Stand out in the front yard and wave the hurricane off? Nah, fuck you. Don't blow my house down. Go across the street to fucking Phil's house. Blow it down. What are you going to do about that hurricane if you're at home? A couple guys tried to blow down Phil's house. It didn't work out so well. Well, they should knock, knock, knock <laughs> by the hair of my chinny, chin, chin. Some say they did knock. Some say they kicked. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> some say they kicked. <laughs> No, it, for one thing, 
Again, as we've mentioned, a hurricane is not like a tornado. A tornado, you might get fucking five minutes notice or less. Hey, your goddamn house is about to blow away right now. A hurricane, they're telling you a week ahead of time. And the hurricane is in Philadelphia, or hurricane, the dynamite's in Philadelphia this week. The hurricane's in Florida. And the hurricane don't hit Florida till Friday. And dynamite's on Wednesday. I think they can get there. I think it'd be just fine. And somebody said, well, what about getting back? Well, why do you want to go back? There's a goddamn hurricane. Stay in Philly. For once, Philly looks like the better of the two options. And if you're worried about your family, bring your fucking family. Why do you want to leave your family in the path of a hurricane, whether you're there or not? They've already called for mandatory evacuations in a lot of places in Tampa, along the beach, the coastline, whatever. So it sounds to me, since there's not a goddamn thing you can do about that hurricane hitting your house, it seems to me like a good idea would be to fucking leave. Go to work. Fulfill your six or seven figure a year contract. Take your family. We're not talking about a $50 indie shot here. Take your family with you. Because for one thing, if Tony, he already has no punk. He's got no EVPs. All the other people that are on the injured list, they're all out. Now anybody that lives in Florida, what the fuck? What's he going to do? Have a hour Broadway twice between four guys? Who's he going to have left? Let Tony offer, instead of leaving employees off of his show, hey, I'll fly your fucking wife and kids up to Philly, too, and get them out of the goddamn hurricane. It's a, it's a, it's a, I'm, I'm, in all seriousness, it's a national television show. And I can understand if the hurricane hit the places that the wrestlers lived and there was no way for them to get out and there was no electricity or no communication or whatever and they're stuck there. But no, you got a goddamn week's notice on the forecast and the hurricane is nowhere near where they're shooting television and you're paying these guys thousands of dollars per shot in most cases to fucking come to work and do that national TV show bring the family, and then wait a few days and then go back when some of the shit settled down. Who wants to sit there and, and watch while a hurricane takes place? I did that once, and I don't know that I'd do it again. Hurricane Hugo, 1988, I believe it was, came in on the coast of North Carolina and all the way inland and hit Charlotte. And I had, it was right at my birthday, and I also had three days off, which never happened. Never did we get three days in a row off, right? And I have a big old birthday cake, and I'm going to do nothing but catch up on watching my wrestling tapes that Weasel Dooley has sent me. And the first day off, the hurricane comes through and knocks our fucking electricity out, and I couldn't watch my wrestling tapes. And I'm sitting there in the dark, eating my fucking cake with a fork in bed while my wife and the dogs were in the bathtub. This was the previous administration. Stacy's not that old. 
with a, a blanket over them screaming, get in the bathtub, get in the, I said, fuck this fucking thing. I'm eating my cake. And then we sat there for two and a half more days with no electricity. And I got in the car and drove to the airport to make my next shot. And the power came on an hour later. But nevertheless, uh, no, you need to get to fucking TV and, and do your fucking job. There's nothing you can do to stop a hurricane from doing whatever it's going to do. Get your family safe and, and make some money to repair what's going to be damaged when you get back. That's my thought. As someone who ignored the mandatory evacuation in Long Beach for Superstorm, Superstorm, Superstorm. Yeah, it is it. Super, I can't fucking say that. <laughs> For Superstorm Sandy, which was a hurricane before that, yes, that was a really rough go. I'll choose that over Philadelphia every day of the week. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, again, I'm not being hard-hearted, but my God, like I said, this is not an indie show at the rec center in front of 200 people. You're going to get paid 50 bucks. It's national television, and it's not it, being taped in the scene of a disaster area. So I would think you can... You can go and get there and, and, and make sure your family's safe as well. I wonder how many, I mean, I can think of a few guys. I was going to say, how many of those guys still live in the Tampa area that work for AEW? A lot of guys live in Florida, not only because they, they've relocated there now because of NXT, but the rest state of State income tax. That's there's why. no state income tax in Florida. And so that's why, but I got to be honest with you again. What the fuck? There's a state income tax in Kentucky. It's 6%. And I'm not saying live in Kentucky, but it in some hub of an airport area, it was, Charlotte was great. You know, Chicago's a, a big city. I'm not saying it's a great city. But when, when guys move to Florida just to save 6% state income tax, they're almost as far away as they can possibly be from almost all the work they're going to have. Have you, have you ever sat and thought that it's as across the country to go to the West coast. It's across the country to go to the Northeast. It's, it's somewhere to go almost everywhere except the Georgia and Florida. And uh, I'd rather be more centrally located. If Florida sucks, not enough people say that. Well, also, and there's the miserable weather, but yeah, but weather is miserable now all over the place since we've ruined the the climate and and the crime. Every I'm a New Yorker, and every time I go down there and watch the news in Florida, I find it a lot more frightening than any of the <laughs> news I see up in New York. It's not totally unreasonable though to say, "Hey, if you live in the eye or where the eye of the hurricane's going to go, you can stay there, take care of your family." Some people maybe worry about looting. That's a big deal whenever there's a big storm; people go around and loot. Looting, looting for heaven's sake! If all the goddamn people are washed away and the the houses are blown down, what are they going to loot? Scrap wood? When I was in Long Beach after Superstorm Sandy, one of the neighbors put up a giant, a big piece of wood, and he wrote on it, "Looters will be shot by local vet." <laughs> we had no looters. It was great. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing: I don't know whether I want to take Harley Quinn to that vet or not. Well, I don't think it was. Say. I don't think it was that kind of vet. It was probably someone who had been involved in one of the wars. But oh, oh, I see any, what you're going. To. Hey, oh, wait, wait, hold on here. I'm, I'm seeing on the on the Google thing here. I'm sorry, I was mistaken when I gave the weather report. I'm not a meteorologist. It's not Friday that the hurricane is. It's Wednesday evening that the hurricane's coming to Florida. I'd seen a graphic on the TV news where it had the path, and I just caught 
the Friday part before it went off. I guess that's where it hits the Georgia state line or whatever the fuck. But in that case, every if it's coming in on Wednesday, everybody should have left on Tuesday. <laughs> Get the fuck out of there. Shit's ca- you've got warning. That's again, that's what I'm saying between the tornadoes and the hurricanes. Warning. The tornadoes, you can't call an evacuation or plan an evacuation for a tornado because you literally have minutes. They can say conditions are right, but you don't know where it's ever going. And it only could be a hundred yards and then it's gone, or it could be two miles and then it's gone or whatever. But with a hurricane, it's coming. We predict it a week ahead of time and it's going to beat the shit out of everything in its path in a long way for a fucking while. I say that's well, when you need to fucking take off. To be fair, they did not know exactly where the cone of the hurricane, the direction everything was going to go. It ended up going towards Tampa. Earlier on, it seemed like it was going to go maybe towards South Florida, and that changed. But they should have called the Scorpions. The Scorpions? They know all about hurricanes. They'll rock you like a hurricane. All right. Well, let me ask you this, then. Knowing all the problems that AEW is having right now behind the scenes, all the hurt feelings, all the different camps, the camps that have gone home, who still have hurt feelings, so many things filled with drama that have happened over the last several months and are still happening. Is this a good opportunity for Tony? Should he say, everyone fly your whole family in? It's going to be family fun week for AEW. (laughs) We're taking over the Ritz-Carlton. Bring everyone in your family. Let's all have fun. Fuck, what about the Hampton Inn? Hampton Inn? He's rich. Yeah. He's got money. Fuck. You know, most rich people get rich by being good with their money. I don't know. Well, he didn't get rich. Shit works. Well, nevertheless. You so know, he can be it, a little different with money. It the family. It should come in the jeans. Have you ever? Nevertheless. Have I ever come in the jeans? <laughs> <laughs> no. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I never, I don't even know where I was going to, what I was going to do there, but it should come biologically. It's what I'm saying that rich people should beget people that are careful with their money. I believe you could be careful with your money, but it also could be seen as a serious morale building company event. What, what about if, what happens if he finds out that fucking pockets somehow has fucking 15 illegitimate children he wants to bring? Do you think he would bring all of his illegitimate children all at once? That would make no sense. He would expose everyone to everything else. It would probably blow up his whole spot. Well, no, everybody probably knows about it. You know, he's got like 15 kids. Of all the guys there. Hold on. Of all the guys there. Under different names. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm just meandering now. If you had to put money on which wrestler there has the most illegitimate kids, who would you say? Oh, wait a minute. Hold on here. Who's that? Well, now. Serious thought into this. Well, now, you know, I, you'd, you'd think somebody like Jericho, because he's a rock and roll star also, right? But we know from his younger days, he, he's, he's very bashful. One girl got mad at the Smoky Mountain Flop House. He wanted to sit and hold hands all night. Um, I'm one, who, and, and you would think Jungle Boy in a previous generation with that, the long curly locks and the, the baby face, you'd think he'd be fucking everything in sight. But I'm sure that, doesn't happen anymore in his generation. Who's uh, who's one of the older talent? I mean, let's see. Maybe maybe Big Show. Maybe Big Show. Big Show. Well, no, I'm just thinking somebody from a previous generation where they actually 
tried to have recreational relations instead of going back and playing video games and cutting each other's nuts off in the opposing camps in the locker room? I don't know the answer to that question. Well, it certainly is a different Tony business. Shavani probably has the most biological children of anybody. He had he had a pretty good record going back in the Crockett days. So, of course, all those are legitimate. We were talking illegitimate, and you didn't really have any guesses. I guess this is the best diplomatic nobody, work you've no, ever done here on the show. The <laughs> nobody gets laid in the wrestling business anymore. Now, if, if if we were speculating about years gone by, that'd be another thing. It's almost like if you were the ugliest man alive and a professional wrestler, you may do okay nowadays just because all the other wrestlers are in relationships with the other wrestlers. There's very few single wrestlers who aren't attached to someone else that they're working with who's friends with everyone else they're working with. Well, but there's, there's very few female fans to uh, pay attention to the rest of them, though. So it, it's that's why you start a band. Ways. That's why you leave wrestling and start a band. <laughs> I'd like to start the rubber band. The rubber band. You could be the rubber band man. Yeah. We talked about that several episodes ago. Yes, Felipe yes Wynn, we did. We're, we're going back to we're, it's a callback, as the kids say. Well, let's call forward and let's spin ahead. Jim, this next question sent on Twitter using a hashtag corny drive through from Sable for the Hall of Fame. Oh, Jesus Christ. I want to get Jim's opinion on someone hacking Teddy Long's Twitter and blocking <laughs> everyone that either follows him or that he follows. Looks like that dream Jim has of having had the record for blocking people won't happen. Well, you know, actually, I heard something about this, what, yesterday or whenever, what, day before on Twitter that several people were on Twitter saying, why did Teddy Long block me? And then I checked because I believe at one point Teddy had followed me. I was thinking that and I checked and he was still following me. Even the fake Teddy Long didn't block me. Maybe he didn't want any of that play, huh? Yeah, what does that say? That's weird. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't know, but I was at the point that I checked and then I started reading that it was because it was obviously his account. It wasn't like a gimmick account, but somebody had got into it some kind of way or whatever the fuck. But I didn't I didn't get blocked. I guess maybe even the 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 hacker likes me. And you've always gotten but, along with Teddy Long, right? Well, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> As a matter of fact, one of our favorite, the thing that we still, every time we see each other, one of us will launch into it, the other one will finish, whichever order it starts in, is when I did the Louisville Slugger interview segment in, what, 89, 90, thereabouts in WCW, and he was yeah. managing, you know, Ron and, and Butch. Doom. Doom. Yeah, otherwise known as Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. Anyway, we did the interview segment, and we just, I mean, he was talking about whoever they were working with, but we played around in the back and said, oh, we'll do this and that and the other thing, and then we closed off with the fucking Don Cornelius parting. Because remember, Teddy, well, I don't know, were you here when Teddy was on the show? It was several years ago. That may have been before me, and if it wasn't, I feel bad that I forgot if I was there when Teddy Long well, was on the show, but it may have been before it, me. We talked for a long time about he worked for James Brown. Uh, it, back in the day and he did on the, going on the road with him and he did radio and he's got the voice and the patter. So we did the fucking Don Cornelius parting together. 
And you can bet until next week, you can bet your last money. It's all going to be a stone gas, honey. I'm Jim Cornette for Teddy Long, wishing you love, peace, and so. <laughs> and everybody in the back was like, what the fuck is going on with them? You can tell and Don it, Cornelius owned everything because he had the least amount of charisma for a soul show host ever. Yeah, he was. Oh, he was so laid back, though. It's so just cool. stiff. You know, it's like Ugh. what you're saying that the uh, studio's on fire and my wife has been kidnapped <laughs> by uh, terrorists. Uh, well, that's that's cool. Here's heat wave. Cool. Here's heat wave now. <laughs> Always and forever. <laughs> but anyway, no, but back to Teddy being Teddy hacking. Uh, Teddy wouldn't do that. He wouldn't block all those people willy nilly like that. And I knew something had to be wrong. And then I read the thing where, you know, and I guess, uh, I don't know how you resolve that. Do you have to figure out who's blocked and go and unblock them? Or how does that get taken care of? I'm sure Teddy wants to make things right. He wants to set up a tag team match with all the people that got blocked against this guy. Did he gain control back of his original account or is he on a second account issuing this statement? I don't know. Because I read the statement on some other form of the internet. Because this one wrestling star, I won't expose who it is, but this one wrestling star who in the last year lost access to their Twitter account because their wife got it and wouldn't give it up because they were afraid the wrestler would say things that would hurt themselves. <laughs> and it caused a big internal fight. <laughs> so, I mean, it happens, the idea that someone gets your site and won't give it back if you give them that access. Well, I don't know whether this is somebody he gave access to to try to help with his social media and went crazy or whether it's just some some rogue Code Academy graduate. You never know about these things. That's why everybody should go to school and, and also express VPN. <laughs> Make sure you... Name a few more sponsors while you're at well, it. I just, well, <laughs> I'm sure Teddy would appreciate us getting a, a paid off of his clip. Um, yeah, you always got to disguise and cover your tracks there. Seeing how much publicity this got, would you consider a campaign like this? What? To, I, I'm already blocking everybody. I don't need to be hacked to do that. Block everyone, even your friends. Block me. Well, fuck you. I'm not going to block you. If I block you, I can't retweet our clips. Uh, and then it would, it would, it would cost me money to, to not tell people about all of the various Things we're putting up on the YouTube and the internets and everything. That's the price you'll have to pay. I need you. All right. Well, maybe there's a transition here somewhere. Maybe Teddy Long doesn't want some freak to have their Twitter account and block everyone minus Jim Cornette in the entire world. Yeah. <laughs> maybe Teddy Long wants to gain back control of his social media, of his virtual being. Maybe Teddy Long needs to pursue legal options. And I know exactly who he can call. Well, you're talking about taking him to court now, aren't you? In that case, if you want to gain control of your legal being, I know the exact human being that can do that for you. Call Stephen P. Boy, Brian, we talked about it for the last several weeks. I maybe in a couple of months now that we've been talking about it. He is 
Stephen P. New, of course, the major domo of newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. He's pressing cases, filing cases, processing, uh, what's the word I'm searching for? Prosecuting cases, whatever the whatever he's doing to these cases. And what was it at last count? Ten different states? He's all over the place now. He's branched out. He got that plane. And it's a lot nicer than that plane Crockett got in 87, too, I'll tell you that. Or was it 86? Anyway, Stephen P. New, flying back and forth across the country, cases in a variety of states. Do you realize, Brian Last, that 75 pharmaceutical companies are now being sued in court on behalf of the babies of West Virginia, courtesy of Stephen P. New? He's holding up for the babies. They were born addicted to opioids because these companies were pushing opioids, said opioids, on pregnant women, like that's a good idea with all that we know now. And they knew before they, that we knew, that they knew, we knew, they knew, we knew, you know? So anyway, besides that, did I tell you what happened a couple of weeks ago? They declared a state of emergency in West Virginia because newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084, has filed a lawsuit on behalf of the inmates of the jails in West Virginia for the horrible and inhumane treatment, no toilets, no running water. What's this country coming to these days? You can't even be safe in jail. It's fucking ridiculous. And they declared a state of emergency. The governor did. Oh, Governor Justice. He's fixing to find out, Justice, what justice means. Governor Stephen P. New! That's right. Governor Stephen P. New is what we're going to be talking about in Five or ten years, I don't know whether Stephen could afford to take the cut and pay or not to become the governor. And they're they're, they're calling the right now. Uh-oh. But nevertheless, I shall continue on. <laughs> so they filed a lawsuit, and you ought to see the amount of of uh, of of plaintiffs and also the amount of people that are being sued. What's the other side of plaintiff? The complainant? No, the the complainee or the complainer. The point of this suit, he's suing a lot of fucking people there at the jail, and they declared the state of emergency because they're woefully, woefully understaffed and uh, and have not kept up the repairs nor anything to be civil living conditions in these jails. But I'll tell you what, folks, and this is a big deal now, you do not have to go to jail to retain Stephen P. News services. I know it's not. a small price to pay. If you had to, to get a lawyer like this, go hit an old woman over the head with a rock on the street, simple assault and battery, you'll get 90 days, but nevertheless, you don't even have to do that. Don't do that. Well, you don't. You don't, don't have to. Don't do that. Not, not, you don't have to. You shouldn't even consider doing that. Why well, because you- there's, there's no call to, because Stephen P. New is available to be retained by anybody, whether you've hit an old lady over the head with a rock on the street or not. He may not want so to take that case. Easy about that. No, he may not huh? want to take that case. It sounds like it's open and shut. Well, it sounds like it's open and shut until you find out that that old woman had no business being on that street at that time of day because she had wandered off from a state home. <laughs> so you hit her with a and, rock? And people were looking for her. There was an APB out for this woman, 88-year-old Myrtle Reed. <laughs> from Orangeburg, South Carolina. She wandered away from a state home, and, and they, they were looking for her. And then here came Claude Patterson with a rock 
and was able to slow her down to where they could get her back in the fucking van and take her back to the home. How old was Claude? Claude was 56 at this time. And he hit an 88-year-old woman with a rock? Well, he didn't have a stick. He had to grab the closest (laughs) thing. Anyway, if you want to retain Stephen P. New because you've been wrongfully terminated or you've been harmed or damaged in some kind of way through somebody else's negligence, or let's say one of these elderly, confused senior citizens that wanders away from state homes has walked out in front of your car, you've hit them, and it's caused some damage to your front bumper, and you want recompense in some way, all these and many other cases able to be handled by our friend Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com, 888-692-8084. And if you've just walked away from a state home and you see somebody coming at you with a rock, turn and stagger the other way. That's right, of course, Stephen P. New. But Jim, a few more questions before we wrap things up. This one was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Charlie in Starkville, Mississippi. I knew it. Sean Waltman recently said he won't wrestle again unless it's for a big event like the Royal Rumble. What are your thoughts on Waltman actually participating in a Royal Rumble at this point in his career? And what do you think about Waltman potentially not wrestling ever again? Well, before I make any rash statements, I'm trying to think. I know Sean's had a bad neck in the past, right? But did he, did he, was he forcibly medically retired? And I'm not just immediately calling this to mind. Actually, I, mean, he, I thought he had bad, a bad knee. I mean, he probably has both, both knees are well, probably I'm bad. I'm sure he but. has bad everything after all those years and et cetera. But I mean, if what I'm saying is, is I think it would be great unless he is taking some kind of unnecessary risk that I'm not aware of or whatever, that he's, you know, how old is he now? He's not as old as I am, probably in his early 50s, maybe. Um, uh, Every time I've seen him, he's been in halfway decent shape, 50 years old. 50 years old. Yeah, to come back for a Royal Rumble or some big event in the WWE where, you know, the payoff is worth it and it's high profile and... You know, in the Rumble, he wouldn't have to do a 20-minute singles match, you know, by him, and, and it'd be expected to go at his, you know, level when he was 30. So I think that'd be fucking great. Now, does he have heat with the WWE office or anybody that's going to prevent that? Or I'm, I'm, I guess what I'm saying is if, if I was him at this stage of the game, unless he just wanted to do it for fun and had no injuries, I wouldn't be out working a regular schedule of indie dates. But for for money and a high-profile deal, and I'm sure he'd get a huge pop at the Rumble or in whatever WWE event. I don't know that he wants to go to AEW at this point in his career for, you know, a match or two or whatever and piss off, you know, Hunter for the rest of his life, but I don't think anything would be wrong with that, do you? I don't think so. I mean, I want to ask you a few questions about this. One, in general, the overall picture, and I've been doing it for a while, do you have any issue with the Royal Rumble, including a legend who may not be an active competitor, may not be someone you want to see in a singles match? Do you have any problem with that being included in the Royal Rumble? No, I think that's the place for them. Uh, I mean, the Rumble can do a lot of things. Obviously, you want, you know, your main event top guys there because obviously the, you want a main event top guy to win the Royal Rumble and get the shot at WrestleMania. You also have your durable and loyal mid-card guys that you can put in there that can go in either direction and and that's also somebody for 
a giant or a monster or whatever is some fodder for them to throw three or four out. You bring back, I don't know necessarily if a legend is always the right word, but a previous roster member, um, a talent that is well thought of by the fans and be remembered. It's a nice surprise. You know, as a surprise entrant, the Royal Rumble has never, there's never been a qualification set to be in the Royal Rumble. Or am I missing something? It's always just been, hey, 30 superstars or however many. I mean, even sometimes I think actors have gotten into the Royal Rumble. Wasn't Drew Carey in the Royal Rumble or am I thinking of someone else? I don't know. Well, he's in the Hall of Fame for some reason. I've probably tuned that out, but I'm not advocating going that far. Because still it should be, if you're going for a shot at the WWE Heavyweight Championship, then, you know, you've got to be, it can't just be goddamn, you know, some jack off off the street point I'm making. So your current top guys, some of the rest of your card, a former talent or two from the roster to get a nice pop that can still go and be credible, you know, that you can do all those things. Um, I don't see any reason why that, and then also it's a great place to debut. A new guy, if you were going to do that, if he can come in and make an impact in the middle of the match or even win the match or whatever. So there's a variety of different kinds of talent you can put in the Rumble and they're not out of place because there's no criteria. You don't have to have X1 and loss record to get into the Royal Rumble. You just, obviously, I think the criteria should be you're a recognized WWE star of past or present. Or some... Maybe even some pro athlete, Logan Paul, whatever the fuck, right? But, you know, not just Drew Carey. Another question I wanted to ask you about all this, and we'll use Sean Waltman as the example, because he has not been an active wrestler in quite some time. He retired fairly young. He went through a lot in his life. He had a lot of injuries, a lot of of outside-of-the-ring issues. He's in a really good place in his life right now from everything I know. And here he is having the itch to do something. I think he did a few independent dates. If he wants to do the Royal Rumble, I have no problem with it. I think that's the place, like you said, it'll be good. I also don't have a problem with someone like that, if they're healthy enough, being used in angles and promos, building up a big match that could be on a show. I don't think you could expect more than one match, because I think the one thing we've seen from a lot of these guys is they're in good shape, they train to come back, they'll have a good match, and they're going to come out of it injured. It almost seems like that's across the board, everyone that comes back. Well, and I was about to say, well, Edge is, but Edge got has been hurt a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, you know, you can't tempt fate like that. Um, if somebody feels like that they're in good shape and that they can come back and they can perform at a level that they're comfortable with and that they don't think is going to feel make anybody feel like they're let down, then they should be able to do that. But, but then, like you said, there's the I'm not saying they should just do it once, but maybe they shouldn't try to, okay, now I'm going to be a weekly presence on television because that, even if you've got a guy doing promos and talking or not actually being active more often than not, the, when, when somebody's at TV every week, there's not only the natural inclination of the writers to try to find something else for them to do or work them into the ring some kind of way, but there's the itch from those guys are like, well, I could do some more of this. And so maybe it should be 
periodic rather than a short term, but regular during that short term, because that way you got more time to uh, heal up from whatever you bang yourself up doing to begin with. All right, Jim, for our next uh, question slash topic, it's actually something I want to ask you about because I've been looking into this a little bit. And I just heard from Tim Hornbaker, the noted wrestling historian, the author of several fantastic wrestling books. Have you been following what's gone on with the Wrestling Hall of Fame in Wichita Falls, Texas? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, I couldn't quote it chapter and verse because this has been going on for the past couple of years. But I understand they rescued the most of the items, right? That uh, Oh, I don't know about been, that. Well, I thought they had transferred them somewhere else or that somebody had control of them and was trying to get them back to the right people a, a couple months ago. I know first that's the one that got flooded, right? And then people disappeared and Johnny Mantell and his wife, I think specifically disappeared. Well, and, and, you know, did anybody check the crawl space, but, um, but what's going on? I have a letter here that Tim Hornbaker sent out to various wrestling historians because everyone's been wondering about this. I'll read you some of this. Last Thursday, I visited the storage rooms in Wichita Falls and Lori, uh, she is, I'm trying to see what her full name is. There's a woman named Lori that's been helping him out. Gave me a tour of the former home of the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. Needless to say, the site of the museum is currently a wreck and little is there. Uh, he arranged to have the collections of Fred Hornby and J. Michael Kenyon moved to a secure storage room a few blocks away. So they protected all the research of the historians. Good, good. The museum was much bigger than I expected, but it is a death trap now, with lights hanging from the ceiling, crumbling walls, and other dangers that could seriously injure someone. Lori believed that being in that space too long was making her sick, and I believe her. There is a room full of mannequins and another that was tagged by thieves who had broken in and stolen items. We rode the elevator up to the third floor and expected to do so going down. However, as we were leaving, we quickly learned that the elevator was no longer in service Ugh. and someone was now trapped inside on another floor. Oh, Jesus. Jesus Christ. When we got outside, the fire department was pulling off. <laughs> 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 I don't mean to laugh, but he's a good writer. I spent a good amount of time in the main storage room and I got a pretty good look at everything. It does appear that the material has been picked through, and things were in disarray. Oh. There were boxes of newsletters, such as The Observer and The Torch, Tom Burke's Global, and other publications. There were two or three big boxes of wrestling books, and most of them were modern. There were boxes of results and research, but it appeared to be mostly from Fred Hornby's collection. There were Wally issues, Steve Yohe's publications, or Yo, as I think it's supposed to be pronounced, and other similar material. I couldn't directly pinpoint a great deal of J. Michael Kenyon's research, but there seemed to be much of Fred's work there. Tim paid for two months of storage for all that material to be put away. This is the interesting stuff here, too. As for what is currently left in the rooms, in the main room there are more newsletters, a box of clippings, books, and other paperwork. In the second room, there are plenty of VHS tapes, garbage, broken glass, and some furniture. Mick Foley's couch is there. Oh, in the first room, there's a box or two of posters. There is also a box of Ray Stern DVDs. On a shelf in one of the empty and decaying rooms of the museum was the most horrific find. Our friend and mentor, 
J. Michael Kenyon's ashes were laying unattended and unprotected. <sighs> there was a bag of individual baggies, each containing a note written by his partner, Joan, with his personal wishes. Obviously, his wishes had not been followed, oh. and it is sad to know that his resting place had been mixed with the crumbling ruins of the former museum. I have his ashes here now. I'd like to send them to fellow historians and friends to see that his wishes will be followed as he had hoped. Well, I was about to say, I can't believe, I wouldn't think they would have left the ashes sitting there once they, so I'm glad he got those. And that's really the sum of it. There's a lot there, but <sighs> it's really a disgrace what happened there. And I will say another thing, and I feel bad saying this sometimes, but there are lots of people with good intentions who get involved with wrestling halls of fames. This is why I'll never give anything from my collection yeah, to no, anyone no. ever. No, no, no. And, but, and, you know, and what uh, Johnny Mantell, the way that he got that down there was because he's from that area and he knew somebody in the city council, chamber of commerce, something where they, the town agreed to go in and, and foot some of the cost or provide some of the place or whatever. I can't remember what the details were. And then, then that all fell apart and shit just went south, right? Pretty much. And Johnny Mantell disappeared. And there was a long time where no one was getting any answers. And I don't think anyone knows where Johnny Mantell is now. But there's now another Hall of Fame in upstate New York with a lot of the people that were involved with the previous Hall of Fame in upstate New York, which sent all the possessions to Texas. Yeah. It's just such a mess. It really is a mess. I hate to say it, but WWE really is the only person positioned to do a wrestling Hall of Fame, and I would never trust them to do a wrestling Hall of Fame. Well, uh, you and me, but we got... Well, we that's got other true. things to do. Maybe, right. maybe when I, when I have more free time and you have, I won't, I won't live long enough to see you have more free time. Probably. <laughs> I don't know about that. I may have some free time. I'm soon. fixing to have some free time in the next two or three years. I guarantee you that. So, what are your thoughts on this whole situation? Any f closing thoughts on this situation and what people should do with well, their stuff? I mean, Notre Dame's out there. Notre Dame, obviously, is the Jack Pfeffer collection, which has been carefully put there now there's no one who curates it or really knows wrestling but they know the material from what i gather but you know when you look at these wrestling halls of fame and what happens how can anyone consider donating anything to them well i i don't think you can and it, that's a shame and it's it's a bigger shame that when people do donate stuff and thinking it's going to be preserved and it ends up you know in a fucking box next to some guy's ashes which is ridiculous but I guess, you know, until there is some type of organized Hall of Fame, if there ever is, that anybody can go to or whatever, I think the best we can do is like you do and I do and, and Tom Burke and so many other people have done, John Pantazzi and, you know, some of the folks of modern day is collect what you can, you know, right? Hornbaker is a tremendous historian. Scott Teal's been doing great work um advanced nevada uh, just sent me a new book uncontrolled chaos it's an entire and we're going to talk about this on the experience i'm not trying to blow a plug because i don't even know how you order it right now but it's an entire telephone book sized book on the history of wrestling in the entire country of canada uh province and territory by province and territory and it's That's we've got cool. a, We've got to keep all that stuff alive is what I'm saying and keep it available somehow, either in the published books or in some type of online form. And 
at least then if dedicated collectors have the the actual memorabilia then everybody can have access to the knowledge and the information and the memorabilia can be saved and you know it just may never be in one central location and let me just plug Tim's uh, Patreon here, patreon.com slash Tim Hornbaker, because he puts up a lot of amazing research and he does everything out of his own pocket. Like he just went down there and paid for the storage and went down there to try to see what he could do to help. That's out of his own pocket. He does a lot of great stuff. So patreon.com slash Tim Hornbaker to access his research. But Jim, let's get one last question and we'll get the hell out of here. Let me find one last question. I'm on the wrong <laughs> fucking window. Here we go. This was sent to cornydrivethrough at gmail.com from Charter of Knoxville. I have come to understand that Dennis Condry was one of the greatest workers ever. <laughs> and really, how much he did to help Bobby and Jim in becoming two legends. I really just want to know if he helped make Bobby what he became, or was Bobby going to be that great no matter what? I know the better journeyman... I know the better journeyman I had made. I know the better journeyman I had made me better at my job. I don't know what he's trying to say there. Uh, and the subject line said, "Did Condry make Bobby better, and how much better, or was um, Bobby great no matter what?" Well, yes and no, and yes and no. Um, here's the thing: Bobby, athletically, he was a natural worker. He could do all that stuff. And and Brian, you've seen the. Not only the Mid-South, well, really the Mid-South tapes, because in Memphis he was doing a lot of this stuff, but the money was, you know, not great. But when in Louisiana, he all of a sudden started getting those big checks, nobody was taking bumps and working like that. And just it seemed like he was out of control, but he was in control. But what a worker, right? But... He would have been able to do that and was already doing that regardless of Dennis. Where Dennis made Bobby better was by having more experience in a main event spot through the various him and Phil Hickerson and him and a couple of different partners and him and Randy Rose in Continental. Dennis was a little more forceful than Bobby was in terms of, you know, we're going to call this match, we're going to do this our way, and we're going to get over and blah, blah, blah. But Dennis also just had that psych that heel tag team psychology. And I mean, Bobby had had tag team partners before, but was Coco Ware really going to teach Bobby anything about ring psychology when they Bobby had been in the business longer than Coco had by two or three years when they were partners. Coco had been in business three years at that point. Uh, George Goulas, need I say more? So Dennis, for me and Bobby, um, you know, taught both of us more about the psychology of the match and getting the match over and doing the right thing at the right time rather than just because Bobby would do everything to try to get a match over, but sometimes it wasn't the right time to do that thing. So that's where Dennis was instrumental in the formation of our Midnight Express. And, and as he says, that's the thing. If you go back now, especially now, there's nobody that works, and there wasn't really then, that works like Dennis Condry. He was almost perfect. He was the closest thing to impeccable that you could get in the ring in terms of never making an observable mistake, 
being able to, the ring positioning, the body language, the way he fed for a comeback, the heat spot, any aspect of the match, not only was Dennis in the right place and did it at the right time, but if somebody else was in the wrong place, he could fucking adjust on the fly and you wouldn't realize what he was doing. And it would still look natural. He could cover up other people's mistakes. And he didn't do anything supernatural. There was nothing flashy. He didn't come off the top rope. But everything, the 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 power slam, the double arm suplex, the pile driver, the leaping pile driver he did, the goddamn clotheslines, just the punches, the blows, the tackles, everything was sharp, was crisp, was safe. Nobody ever got hurt. You know, that's there's nobody really like that in the business today that's just a almost impeccable at positioning and timing and everything that they do looks as close to legitimate as possible and they stick to that instead of trying to do crazy shit with other crazy people that ends up going sideways dennis did not do any goofy shit that was going to look fucking phony so i mean this that's what dennis brought to everything and when you go back and watch the the footage of him now, you know, not only in Memphis, but especially Mid-South, world-class, the year and a half or so of Crockett, whatever. That's why Arn Anderson always praised the team of Bobby and Dennis. That's why so many other guys always said Dennis was a night off because he was a dream to work with. There was never going to be any mistake or any problem or any fucking injury. Would Dennis have been a good teacher or was it skills that you can't really teach you just have to instinctively get it or would he have not had the patience to be a teacher what no he would actually he would and he was he trained guys when he moved to colorado and got out of the business he trained guys out there and ran his own spot shows that nobody ever even knew about him and murdoch because murdoch was living in colorado um and he did do some guest training at uh <sighs> I don't know if it was FCW, it was before NXT. I guess it was probably FCW at that point. And worked with some of those guys. That's FTR, he's worked with them. And when Jeff Jarrett was trying in, what was it, 2008 or nine, to get TNA to set up a developmental program or some type of training program, Dennis was the one that he was talking to to be the head trainer because Dennis living in Huntsville is not that far from Nashville. And they brought me down to help tell some of those TNA executives that Dixie had hired, how to set up a wrestling school from the business standpoint. And there we, so we had that experience of setting up OVW. We had one of the best workers in the business to be a trainer and Jeff Jarrett, the minority owner wanting them to set up a training program in Nashville so that they could not only produce new talent, but maybe polish some of what they had. And we couldn't get a goddamn decision out of any of those people until finally then Jeff was exiled and it all went to shit. All right, Jim. Well, with that, the drive-thru is closed. Let's get a song or two and we'll get out of here. We got a lot of songs, and I got to see which ones have we played, which ones have we not played. 
Let's start with this one. Sent to corny drive through at gmail.com from Stefan in Auburn, Maine, if that's how you pronounce your name, Stefan. For a second, how you feeling? Um, I, I think one of those is a note. <laughs> well, um, maybe if the uh, audio feed of the uh, the levels were a little different, it would be easier. I'm, to... I'm having a hard time picking out the vocals, but I I do. <laughs> it has helped tremendously because there were stray dogs outside in the yard, and they left. And I think it's also run off the moles that were digging in the in the backyard. All right. Well, thank you, Stefan. For your song, but uh, we're going to call it a little short, but we appreciate the submission, of course. Let's get another one here, Jim. Submission or emission? I'm not exactly sure. Let's uh, go to... There's a lot here. Let me move this. <laughs> a track that isn't about Tony Khan or Cody Rhodes. Let's go to this from Andrew in Dublin, Ireland. Is it Shark Week? I know what the target audience is. You want to get to the main event that really didn't have any heat except with the boys in the locker room and anybody cares about the wrestling business? Shark, it's coming down into the crowd. It's holding captive a bunch of marks. Conti with the key won't get very far. So they'll have to slip right through the bars. Here comes the story of Chris Jericho. The man who refuses to let it go. Thinking back on everything he's done. Now look what he's become. He used to be the champion of the world. This is so embarrassing. Jericho used to be a star. Fuck you. I'll punch you in your fucking face for saying that. <laughs> he beat the rock and stone cold in just one night. Now all the matches he has a fucking shot. He used to take out guys with just one flip. But now he might end up popping out his hip. He flushed MJF's head down a toilet. On his legacy, he's taking a massive shit. <laughs> he thinks he's down with the kids. And they arrive on the scene. 
And then they fight up in a Gwyneth County night. The fucking word I hate the most that fans use is botch. Meanwhile, he's thinking up here to latch on to next. Cut himself on TV, we can see the blade. Number one contender for the match of the year. Uncle Dave thinks he has nothing to fear. Eddie pulled Chris over to the side of the ring. Just like the time before and the time before that. Bob Ross, by the web, is his fate. If you book, you must be thinking this will bomb. Unless you're Tony Khan. So it's great to know how to do a moonsault off the top rope and do a shooting star press. But if you don't know how to do a lockup, it really doesn't matter. Oh! <laughs> well, there it is. Andrew from Dublin, Ireland. Answering the question, does everyone who does a Dylan song have to do a Dylan voice? Yes. <laughs> Even if they're from Dublin, Ireland, they will do a Dylan voice. What are your thoughts on that, That Jim? was excellent. That was excellent. Um, lyrically pleasing as well as melodic. Well, I don't think we're going to top that in terms of pleasing lyrics or more than likely melody. So the drive through is closed. All right. See? No melody there either. Bop, bop. Of course, the Jim Cornette Experience debuts this weekend wherever you find your favorite podcast and back here next week on The Drive-Thru. Once again, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Get access to the archives of The Drive-Thru and the Experience. Patreon.com slash Cornette. $5 a month gets you access to the archives of The Drive-Thru and the Experience going back to 2013. Patreon.com slash Cornette. Subscribe to the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search for Jim Cornette. Full episodes, clips of episodes, omnibus collections, all with the very popular Travis Heckle artwork. Check it out today. The official Jim Cornette YouTube channel. You can follow Jim on Twitter at the Jim Cornette. You can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can hear me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com. Available wherever you find your favorite podcast. And don't forget about The Wrestling News, wherever you find your favorite podcast or TheWrestlingNews.com, free daily morning wrestling newscast, The Wrestling News. Cornette's Collectibles at JimCornette.com. What's going on over there? Well, action figure Armageddon, and again, the first 150 uh, figures or so is headed out this week, they're in the hands of the Feather Bottoms, and that will continue for a number of weeks. If you have ordered, stick with us, folks. Everything hand-signed to order by my senior citizen fingers. It takes me a while these days. JimCornette.com. That's right, JimCornette.com. And, of course, the drive through is brought to you by the law office of Stephen P. New, 888-692-8084. Get even with Stephen at NewLawOffice.com. But until this weekend on The Experience, and next week right back here on The Drive-Thru, for Jim Cornette, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho! Well, it's Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru. Yes, it's Jim Cornette's Drive-Thru. Please shut up and listen while Corny is shooting. Yes, while Corny is shooting on Big Fucking Putin and those outlaw macho fucks. Joey Ryan, the Young Bucks, the Rednecks and Dumb Fucks, and them Dork Order Bum Fucks. And then there's Jelly Janella. 
Pensatino Marella, the boogeyman, the boogeyman, the boogeyman. Ponies drive through. Ponies drive through. Ponies drive through. When it's all elite wrestling. Tony Khan is investing his billions of dollars in some dumb cosplay wrestlers. Yeah, they think they are wrestlers in video games just like Kenny Omega. We pledge allegiance to the leader of the mighty cult of Cornets. And to the pro wrestling for which he stands. No blow up dolls, kick spots, or dance routines with blood, sellouts, and shoot angles for all. And have you heard about Riho? She weighs 45 kilos and she's their champion. She's a Japanese schoolgirl. All the Japanese schoolgirls like Kenny Omega love to play with his Sega. Yeah, they play with his Sega. You need to sue the guy for you, Steven Kidu, everybody. Tony's drive through. Tony's drive through. Tony's drive through. Tony's drive through. And now, here are your hosts, Jim Cornette and the great Brian Lass.